Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. look at this next stretch of games here and randy i look at it, you got nashville tonight you got chicago then you go buffalo arizona colorado winnipeg arizona florida you know even a team like colorado in that mix is a team that scuffled most of the year still trying to uh, find itself I, I went through the entire group and winnipeg's the best uh, team in that group right there and you're talking a stretch of eight games this is it alex this, this is, is it, it. That was Jeremy Rutherford earlier today on the morning show talking about the Blues' upcoming schedule. Listen, we've said it a million times. We'll say it again. I I don't think this team is anything more than a 500 hockey club at full strength. I think that we've now seen that over the course of the first 45 games of the season. I'm not expecting them to be something that they have not been, and I'm not expecting them to, to change that over the next eight games. That being said, JR makes a really good point. You look at the schedule that's coming up, Nashville, Chicago, Buffalo, Arizona, Colorado, Winnipeg, Arizona, Florida. Those are teams that are in this same tier as the Blues. And what they could do in this eight-game stretch, Alex, is they could try their best, kind of their last stand, to show Craig Berube, to show Doug Armstrong, to show the ownership group, hey, this is a team that still could make the playoffs as currently assembled doesn't mean that they're going to be a buyer at the deadline it doesn't mean that they're going to be a contender once they get into the playoffs but maybe they could prove to you that in that middle class of the nhl which is very very crowded right now maybe the blues could work their way towards the top of that middle class as opposed to where they are right now which is somewhere closer to the bottom of the middle class. Is that how you're viewing this next stretch of games, Alex? Yes and no. I mean, yes, I am looking at this next stretch of games pivotal in terms of how Doug Armstrong goes about his job on March 3rd with that trade deadline and honestly how they look at this team beyond this season because you have to project out that far. But the no side of it is I feel like Doug's already got his mind made up. And I don't think there's anything this team can do to change his mind in terms of how he goes about it, with the exception of everybody goes or some people go. Because you had these stretches of games where you went two games above 500 against some really compelling teams, and then you had a really good road trip. But then when you play against the teams that you're seeing at the top of the standings, teams like Tampa Bay and teams like... um, Uh, Montreal where they're at the bottom of the standings like it's just so hot and cold with this team that you got to stretch as JR just mentioned where you're playing these middling teams that are in the same spot as you so even if you dominate that that's great 
but look at how you've performed against these teams that are at the top echelon. So that's why I feel like the, the, the team has a idea in mind where they're at. You can have obviously sway Doug Armstrong's opinion in terms of maybe we should consider re-signing X player. Maybe we shouldn't be so quick to ship this player out. But I feel like when it comes down to it, he's looking at this team like he's looking at it back in December and saying they are who exactly I think they are. That's kind of where I am. Is I, I think Army knows where they are. Even if they went on, I think the only way they change is if it's like an eight-game winning streak. And if it's not an eight-game winning streak, it's hard to see Doug Armstrong changing his mind on this club because he's going to look at it and go, man, I have some of the best assets to potentially move at the trade deadline. And even if we do get in, what are the chances of us actually going on a legitimate run? And, and he's not going to be a buyer at the deadline. So if anything, he's just going to stick with the roster together. And I think that would be a mistake where they are right now. So I, I think he, if you're Doug Armstrong, you look at it still and you say, you know what, it's just not our year. And we have the assets to move to go get a couple first round picks or get some prospects. We can potentially retool this a little quick, quickly in the offseason. I, I think his mind's made up. I, I don't think unless it's an eight-game winning streak, and even then I'd be skeptical if Doug Armstrong doesn't look at this as we're in sell mode. I feel like the hope is that they perform that way, though, because that's just going to make this team look more intriguing to other teams around March 3rd. In what way? Your team's playing better, which means the players that could be up for grabs at the trade deadline are a lot more confident to teams rather than a 500 club talking mainly Ivan Barbashev, mainly guys like Nico Mikola, depending on how many games Thomas Grice gets because O'Reilly and uh, Vladdy, although Vladdy could be back I was about to say, soon. that's the thing that's tough about this is like, I don't know how much you're going to see Vladdy or, or O'Reilly in this stretch. And those are really the two that I think you'll see change. Vladdy probably for at least half of it. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, I think those are the only two guys, though, that really change their asking price potentially over the next, you know, whatever it is, six weeks now prior to the NHL's trade deadline. I think people pretty much know what Barbie is. They know what Mikola is. I don't think a hot stretch for either of those guys really changes anything for them meaningfully. Um, I think that the big thing, though, is O'Reilly and Vladdy come back. They show that they're healthy. Vladdy scores a few goals before the deadline, uh, and we can all move on in our separate ways. I I think that's what's tough about where the Blues are at right now is I agree with Alex in that we all know what this team is. And so even as much as I'm trying to convince myself this next eight games matters, It matters just in that, like, can you prove to yourselves that you can do this to the degree of making the playoffs? And that's as much as I can muster up. I mean, I just, I think the stakes for this season are low right now. I don't think that there's meaningful aspirations to achieve. I don't think that this is a team that's competing for a cup. I think that we now know in mid-January with three months left in the season, exactly what the ceiling is. And unfortunately, what the floor is, that floor is completely bottoming out. And the ceiling is, yeah, maybe they can get around into the playoffs. And for right now, when you're going up against these eight teams that are kind of in a similar spot to you, like what's Nashville saying right now? If I was listening to Nashville sports radio and they were talking about the Predators today, I'm guessing their conversations are pretty similar. If I'm listening today to conversations in Buffalo, they're probably excited about the young players and how they're performing. But that team's not very good right now. Colorado is completely underachieving relative to expectations. Florida is maybe the most similar team to you in that they changed what they thought was the trajectory for the organization by going out there and getting a Matthew Kachuk. And you look at what their actual on-ice production is this year, 
And it's basically the same as you. There are 500 hockey clubs so far. So these teams that you're going up against, you're basically battling for the supremacy of the middle class. How much does that matter? Not a whole lot, but for the team, it matters a lot. This is kind of our conversation that we had yesterday, Alex, about the, the Cardinals, where it's like, does it matter to fans that you get in every year? No, at this point, I think fans are kind of sick of it, but it matters to the players because they view it as if you go there, you've got a chance to compete every year. So maybe that's what they're fighting for is for the players on the team, for the prospective players out there that are maybe free agents, they can see that even in a quote unquote down year for the Blues, it still ends with you getting to the postseason. It's still attainable. I mean, I referenced to you guys a quote that I heard from Ottawa Senators GM last night, basically saying like, we're going to know in the next eight weeks what we're going to do, which is kind of a cliche saying because yeah, of course you are because that's the trade deadline. But that's a team that's sitting three points away from being one of the bottom teams in the Eastern Conference. And they're talking about eight weeks can show us if we're going to be buyers at the deadline. There's just this there's this gray area of uncertainty right now in the National Hockey League, unless you're basically Boston, because everyone else is kind of wondering, OK, how do we improve? How do we figure out a way to make our team the best we can to win a Stanley Cup this season? And I just don't know if Doug's looking at it that way. I, and I don't know if eight game win streak is going to change his mind that way because and nothing. This team's a seller. Like no, nothing's changing Doug Armstrong's mind in that regard. Exactly. They could win their next. Maybe let me put it another way. If they win their next 20 games, maybe that changes things. Oh, I would be a buyer then. <laughs> Anybody yeah, on, on board so. with that? Yeah, I guess that could do it. But within realistic outcomes, this team's a seller, and they should be a They're seller. They're sitting at a, I think it's a 9% chance to get in the playoffs. Yeah. I think Greg Rosinski had that in his piece today. So it's hard to see them. Like I, I don't know what the numbers would be if they go on an eight-game winning streak. Maybe they go back up in that echelon of like that 15%. But I mean, you had 15% chance to do anything. Would you really sign up for that? No. No. You go, of course. If you told me I had a 15% of winning the lottery, I'll do that right now. Sure. But. Well, my lottery is trading O'Reilly and Tarasenko and getting first round picks. <laughs> Touche, sir. You know what this stretch is, though, real quick, BK? This stretch is deciding if you're retooling or rebuilding. Is it? it- I, part of me thinks it is because look at the teams they're going up against. Like you're playing Nashville. Nash- is it the, let me let me ask this as a follow up. Is it about the record or is it about what the young players do? I think because it's like about- you could lose all of these games while seeing Jake Neighbors play well, while seeing Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas, and maybe you throw in a Nick Letty and a Colton Pareko into that mix. If those guys are all playing well and you're still losing. I, that matters more to me. In fact, that's probably the best case scenario for this stretch of games. That's where I was going to get to with it because I, you're playing other middling teams. You're playing other teams that some of these are on the, they just came out of the dark tunnel of trying to become competitive, like Buffalo. Colorado's an already competitive team. Winnipeg's a competitive team. But then you're taking the bottom dwellers in the Arizona Coyotes and the Chicago Blackhawks, but you're also taking on some middling teams. You're taking on the Nashville Predators. You're taking on the Florida Panthers. You're taking on the Vancouver Canucks, the Seattle Kraken. Like, you're taking on a lot of teams by the end of February that you can look at and you say, we can't even compete with these teams. We might need to rethink our whole landscape of what this roster looks like, or we're competing and we played better against these teams. I think we're close. That's yeah. why I feel like you're going to look at it after this. Stretch. I just don't think the wins loss matters to me in that regard. But it's the competitiveness against these teams. It's not the wins or loss. It's how sure. you look. If you play the way you played against Montreal, I think that's going to change your opinion. If you do that against Vancouver and Nashville and Arizona. 
Uh, speaking of the Blues and how they are constructed right now, they did switch up their lines a bit yesterday during morning skate. They had sawed with Thomas and Kyrou. That is how they ended the previous game as well. And then they brought down Buchnevich to be with Shin and Neighbors. Alex, I know that with Barubi, he's always got the pairings, right? It's not so much the line as it is the pairings, and he can kind of uh, maneuver guys around them. So with Thomas, his pairing right now is Jordan Kyrou. And with Shin, his pairing appears to be Jake Neighbors, at least for the foreseeable future. I like that. I like that the Blues have finally gotten to this place where it's, hey, we're going to keep Thomas and Kyrou together and we'll figure out somebody to work with them. And we're going to get Shin and Neighbors together. We're going to figure out somebody that will work with them. My hope is that those guys end up having so much chemistry for the remainder of this season. And again, this goes back to not about the wins losses, more about what they look like that you go into next year feeling like, okay, we need our third pairings for that third line, or maybe it ends up becoming your second line, but we feel good about what we have with Thomas and Kyrou working together and Shin and neighbors working together. Those are two, two pairings that I do think meaningfully matter for the long-term outlook of this team. Yeah, I, I agree with that because I think you're right now trying to figure out who makes sense the most with Thomas and Kyrou and that short sample size we saw against um, their opponents. Who did they just play? Why is my mind blanking on me right now? Oh, the Senators. What you saw in that third period with Saad Thomas and Kyrou looked a little bit better than what it looked like for a little bit. They had six scoring chances compared to no scoring chances. Uh, and then what you saw with Jake Neighbors and Braden Shen and Pavel Buchnevich, that's the best I think that Jake Neighbors has looked since he's been back up here and he was playing with two really high skill leveled play- players. So I think this is a massive evaluation period for Jake Neighbors. Are you ready or are you still kind of towards the you're getting your feet warm in the NHL and for Brandon Saad and Thomas and Cairo, it's, can you play more consistent that we need you to play at even strength? That's what I feel like you're trying to figure out right now. I'm glad Craig Bruby's sticking with this and not going back to what it was the way they started against Ottawa coming up in about 15 minutes or so. We're talking to the predators analyst, Chris Mason to preview tonight's game between the blues and the Preds. We'll do that coming up in about 15 minutes. Dan Zimborski of fan joins the show coming up at 1215 but coming up next Dan Zimborski created the zips projections over on fan they were released yesterday for the St. Louis Cardinals I think they signify why this team internally is so high on the offense and why they believe they can compete with the big boys around the National League we'll tell you why coming up next year on 101 ESPN we're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Yesterday, we talked about MLB Network's breakdown of the top 10 left fielders in Major League Baseball. Alex, they have worked their way to first base, which means it's time to celebrate Paul Goldschmidt. Paul Goldschmidt is once again the number one first baseman in the game. That's the fourth time for him at number one and tenth time in the top five. He was revitalized last year, regaining his old MVP candidate form of years ago and actually winning his first MVP award this past season. Goldschmidt hit over 300, had an on-base just over 400, all while slugging a robust 578. Did it all with plus base running and fielding. It's a complete player in top form. Goldschmidt was among the major league leaders in most categories. Third in weighted runs created plus behind only Aaron Judge and Jordan Alvarez. Third in war behind Judge and a hair behind his teammate Nolan 
Arenado. So that was their breakdown on, down on MLB Network about why Paul Goldschmidt is now the best first baseman in all of baseball. That's no surprise to any of us. I would assume that they're doing the third baseman tonight. Nolan Arenado will be somewhere in the top three. I would assume either first or second, depending on how they view him versus Manny Machado. So you right now have the best first baseman in baseball on the Cardinals. You have a top three at, at a minimum, conservatively, third baseman in baseball. And you probably have a top five catcher, conservatively speaking, in Major League Baseball as well. When the Cardinals talk about why they are high on their lineup, when they talk about why they believe that they've got enough to compete with the big boys in the National League, that's a big part of why. And so, Alex, this gets us over to the Zips projection, which were officially released earlier today over on Fangraphs. Told you what we were gonna do here. Yeah, I know. I told uh, you what thing? we were doing here. Is that a thing? I uh. Yeah. All right, let's try this again. All right, you ready? You got it ready to go. Here we go. So what are we? What are we doing? We're saying zips. I hey, think. this. I feel like this was a super easy concept, I, and you, know, you didn't I, totally. Crack. I, I, you know what? I, I think I it was easy, but it's kind of cringeworthy. I understood with, the premise of it. I just wanted shots. You, you say zips. No, I understood the premise. I just wanted you to do it solo because I just. I don't know if I was a hundred percent bought in. I, I'm not, <laughs> now I'm, not I'm bought in. Do, do, I'm do, not we, have, do we have each other it, on board now? I heard it, and I'm right, bought in. So let's try it again. Three, two, one. I was like, that was so much better. Oh, man, All right, is... I'm gonna chant that next time my I daughter just... tries to zip up her coat. I just picture that happening in like the advanced analytics department in the car. Dan, Dan, Zimbosky, we're gonna have to ask him. Be like, do you just zip, 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 zip? Can you see Gersh just with the hair? Yeah, I can actually. <laughs> Swaving it around. I just picture Mo too, just like doing some awkward dance move too. Nah, Mo just loosens up the bow tie. I think Mo does the sprinkler while they're doing the zip song. No, he's the shopping cart kind of guy. Oh, he oh, is for the sure. shopping cart. Who, who guy. do you think is the uh, hands at the hip? Right here. Just oh, that's right right here. Flores. Yeah, that's Flores. Flores. <laughs> Michael Gersh is totally the lawnmower. Um, yeah, come on, Mo. Let's so get in there. The zips projections are now out over on Fancrafts. And for those curious about such a thing, what it is, is it essentially is trying to project what these players are going to do in 2023 based on what they have done previously in their career. Uh, listen, any projection system, it, it's flawed. And we know that there are a range of outcomes and these very well may not end up being anywhere close to being correct. Right. But we try to predict baseball. That's what we've got available to us. When I look at their projections over on the zips uh, side of things, Alex, I get it. Like, I see how this offense could be better than what people are expecting. I mean, I've been saying maybe it's a little bit of um, confirmation bias because I I previously thought that this was a very good offense as well. But, man, you go over there, like, they've got Arenado 30% above league average offensively. Same thing is true for Paul Goldschmidt. They've got guys in the 20% above league average category like Juan Yepes and Lars Newtbar, Tyler O'Neill, Wilson Contreras. It, th- this lineup can compete with some of the best in the National League if these numbers end up being correct. Yeah, uh, when they uh, when they added Wilson Contreras, I looked at the roster and you sat there and said, they've got a team that can be dangerous this year offensively. Uh, the problem is you got to hope that these younger players are able to step into these roles. And that's where I think that they're at with this. And you look, I, I feel like the biggest question mark on this team to where their offense can be one of the best or an offense this is going to be a little bit above average comes down to that outfield. It comes down to what Dylan Carlson's going to provide you 
what Tyler O'Neill is going to provide you, what Lars Nupar is going to provide you, and then what are those complementary pieces? Is Jordan Walker that guy? Is Juan Yepes that guy? Is Alec Burleson that guy? Although those two are going to be DH positions there. They have an offense from top to bottom of what we kind of always measure it as, T-Bone, of, okay, where's my opportunity to breathe? They have it to where you feel like you can't breathe until about the seventh or eighth hole. Now... It looks that way, but once you get into the season, does it continue to feel that way? Yeah, I think they've got the complementary pieces to where you've got like your leadoff hitters, you've got some solid bench pieces, you're going to have some great guys that are hitting that 7th or nine spot in your batting order. The question for me is, are you going to have that fourth bat that emerges that makes this a overwhelming lineup to face? Because I think Goldie, Arnado, Contreras in that middle, plus you've got Newport at the top of the order. I, like that's, that's a really good lineup, but when you get to the point where it's like, man, I just feel like I don't have a break in this lineup, is when you get that one through six that's solid, like what the Dodgers had back in 2021 when the Cardinals ran into them in that wild card game. And that's where it comes down to what you were saying is the outfield. Does someone emerge from that outfield? Because that's the only spot that I can truly see it coming from. Is, is it going to be Jordan Walker? Is he going to be a Rookie of the Year candidate? Is it Tyler O'Neill? having a bounce back season is Lars Newbar going to reach the projections which he's just slugging the crap out of the ball at the at the top of the order potentially or is it can it come from a guy like Juan Yepes or Nolan Gorman or the Zips projections are really high on Alec Burleson can he become that potential bat so I think that's where it is for the offense because I think they've got the complementary pieces I think they've got the solid uh three four five hitters it's can they get to the point where it's a lineup that you look at and go my bleep, and there's no way we're going to be able to get this whole lineup out. Can you finish that first sentence you were thinking of? No, he can't. My my Um, bleeping? We know Goldie Arenado Contreras are going to be those guys, right? Three, four, five, you feel good about that. Can I throw Brendan Donovan into that mix as well as, like, if he's your leadoff hitter, you feel really good about it because of the plate discipline, the on-base percentage, all of those different things. Is that fair? Yeah. So we're looking for two, three. Or or two and six, really. I'll say three is Goldie. Yeah, two two and six. two is Goldie. Fair. But two guys that are batting in the top six is really what you're looking for. And I think they've got a lot of options, and you guys mentioned it. It really comes down to the outfield. I I think that by the end of the season, Carlson, O'Neal, Burleson, Newt Barr, maybe you throw Yepes into this mix by at DH, hopefully, would be where he's hitting. Maybe Jordan Walker could be that guy. That's six different options that you have that if they reach their potential – could fit into those two spots in the lineup that we're talking about. Is it going to take some time to figure out which one of those players or which two of those players ends up fitting that criteria? Yeah, I think it will. And it might be a little bit of a a muddled mix early on in the season. You might end up choosing wrong. Maybe Tyler O'Neill's not that guy. And by the end of the year, he's your fourth outfielder. Maybe Lars Newbar doesn't hit that ceiling that they're hoping for. And he reverts back to the player that he was in the first half of last year. Okay, now we move on to the next guy. Maybe Jordan Walker gets the opportunities then. The the point is they've got options. They've got opportunities with multiple different guys in that outfield. And if just two of them end up working out, you feel pretty good about where this lineup is at because of what the complementary pieces are already in. You've got those stalwarts in the lineup, one, three, four, five. Now we've got to fill in two and six. It used to be feel pretty good about one, feel pretty good about like having a pretty good five and six hole hitter. Can we get two through four? That is way harder to figure out than getting these missing pieces that are more complimentary. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, Chris Mason, broadcaster for the Nashville Predators, want to get his thoughts on tonight's game between the Blues and the Preds. What does he expect out of this mashup? And what has he seen from the Predators this season? Why are they at the same spot that the Blues are at? We'll talk to Chris Mason next year on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. We're going out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by former Blues goalie, former NHL goalie, Chris Mason. He's now a broadcaster with the Nashville Predators. We are previewing tonight's matchup between the Preds and the Blues with him. Always appreciate his time here on 101 ESPN. Chris, we wish you the best as always. How you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Just watching uh, morning skate here at Enterprise Center and just getting my uh, my mind right to, to call the game tonight should be a, should be a good battle. Yeah, it'll be a fun one, and we know when the Predators are in town, we we kind of know what to expect. This is a heavy team uh, that's coming into St. Louis. The expectations, though, were a little higher than what we've seen from them so far this year, at least from our perspective, Chris. What what have you seen from the Predators compared to what you were hoping to see from them coming into the season? Uh, well, I think lately they're they're playing a lot more to to how they were expected to play. They, at the beginning of the season, I thought they were really inconsistent and just couldn't really find, you know, any identity, I guess. And, and to your point, the expectations were not being met. Goal scoring uh, was an issue. I think last time we, ended, we played you guys, actually, we were kind of going through that drought. It's a 0-0 hockey game, and then I think the, uh, the Blues ended up winning overtime. But we kind of go through a rough patch there, but it kind of revamped. Uh, the way that they've approached playing games now. They're, they're trying not to sacrifice their defensive play. They're, they're getting excellent goaltending. Uh, UC Saros and uh, Kevin Lankinen have been just awesome, really you know, keeping them afloat while they're going through that rough patch. But they're starting to generate a lot more plays, uh, a lot more uh, aggressive play up ice to try to you know, get the puck and move it through the neutral zone, try to stretch those forwards as soon as they get possession uh, in the D zone and, and try to back off the defenseman and come through the neutral zone with a little more speed. Um, I think they were kind of relying on uh, just chipping it in and, and, you know, having everybody come out together. They're kind of getting jammed up there for a while. So uh, they're starting to generate more chances and, and their record's been a lot uh, more indicative of that lately. So kind of playing more to the expectation, but it's a log jam. As you, as you guys know, you look at the standings, there's uh it's, it's going to be tough for, for anyone to, to get in there. So this is, that makes this game even bigger. Chris, that's what's been so intriguing about this Western Conference this season. Nobody has really run away with it. Everybody is still within striking distance, whether you're outside of the playoffs or looking in. But when you hone in on Nashville and St. Louis, I mean, they they are like identical, it seems, in terms of how they are built, the play, where they're at kind of organizationally. And this season, it's no coincidence that they're right around a 500 team. Yeah, and, and you're you're right. I mean, this next stretch here for both teams is, you know, it, it's going to be a big indicator of what, you know, either the blues or the predators decide to, to do come the, the trade deadline, you know, obviously very similar situations. Um, you know, you guys with uh, O'Reilly and Tarasenko, you know, they might be a little easier to move because their deals are up than, you know, some of our high paid guys. But, you know, having said that, if, you know, you're in a situation where you feel like you're, you're not going to get in or, you know, it's going to be tough, then, you know, there's going to be, tough decisions I think on on both sides of it but but having said that both teams I think are very capable of if they can get in you know it could be a a dangerous team in the playoffs but you have to think Colorado's you know they're eventually going to take one of those spots I think Minnesota's in the central division if St. Louis or Nashville were to get in they're still within reach 
and then you got you know you got Edmonton and Calgary that are, are battling away too. So it, it's just it's it's going to be. Cra- I mean, it's every night it changes. I think Preds just jumped the Blues last game, and you know who knows what happens tonight. So it's it, it's it's a fun part of the season. Former NHL goalie, now broadcaster for the Nashville Preds. Chris Mason joining us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Chris, I did want to ask you a little bit about where, how the Predators got to where they are today by kind of looking a little more big picture. We've talked a lot about the Blues and whether this potentially ends up being a rebuild or a retool if and when they decide to make the moves with O'Reilly, Tarasenko, some of their pending UFAs. The Predators decided to go more of the retool route as opposed to the complete rebuild that we've seen from, for example, Chicago, how did they do that? And do you think that, that that is a successful route that other teams can take in the NHL nowadays? It's tough. You know, the salary cap and, and the big contracts have really, I think it's made it almost impossible for teams to to completely rebuild. I mean, you've seen teams try to do that. Edmonton tried to do that. They had, I don't know, it felt like first pick every you know every draft for about five or six years going back to you know Nugent Hopkins, Yakupov, all those guys, Connor McDavid. And, you know, that's not a guarantee you know, success, it, it works for a handful of teams. It, it, it's really tough. And I think, you know, if a team like Nashville or St. Louis were to try to do that, I, I really just don't think you can, you know, you're not, you're not, teams aren't in a situation where, you know, you can just say, Hey, all right, I just want to, you know, let's unload all our old guys or big contracts and we'll start all over. You just, you, you can't do it. It's a lot more challenging. I think uh, than people really understand when you get down to the, you know, the whole salary cap contract obligation, kind of thing and it's just tough to move teams want good players but they they don't want their contracts so it, it's really tough and it's challenging i think with st louis uh might be a little more flexible to be able to move guys if they're getting that situation like tarasenko o'reilly because they only have the one year left and they could really help somebody so it's not a big uh burden for that team you know trying to take a shot or take that contract off the books but um it's tough and, and you need your prospects to come up and play well too and nashville's Actually, had a couple guys come up. Yusuf Parsons been awesome. Kids, twenty-one. Tommy Novak's come up. He's played really well. So they've had some uh, some good players. Uh, Jordan Gross is down in Milwaukee. He'll be back at some point. So they've got some good young guys that they are able to maybe continue the retool, but a complete rebuild is a, is a t- tall order to fill, I think. Chris, I know your focus is on Nashville. You're with them for 82-plus games throughout the season, but the games that you've seen St. Louis play this year, is there is there a, an area that stands out to you? Like, Do they look like a team that might be headed towards a retool, or do they still look like a competitive team to you? I think they look like a competitive team. I mean, there's, there's obviously, you know, I guess it depends what stretch of the season you're looking at. I think they've got a lot of, you know, guys like O'Reilly that was struggling offensively. You know, his games, it can, it can turn at any moment. I think the way that they're built last, you know, you look at last season, I, I think they were the, the only team that really gave Colorado a run in the playoffs. And you're talking about the same team that they have, they have that pretty much exact same team this season. So, I mean, you guys know what happened, uh, you know, the, first half of that one season, Ruby comes in and all of a sudden you win a Stanley Cup with a team that was uh, almost dead last in the conference. So you, you've got a group of players. It, it just it kind of just it depends when it turns, if it turns in time. Um, but I, I would never count out a team like the St. Louis Blues, to be honest with you. So um, there's been points during the season though, where you watch them and you're like, yep, it's time to, hmm. time to rebuild and move on. But there's other points where you guys know what you got there. and These guys have won before, so I would never 
I would never fully count them out. That's for sure. I feel like Chris, that's what this fan base has been doing this season. Like they've been holding on to like by a thread to, to hoping that this team can find a way to turn it around. And, and, you know, I go back to something Doug Armstrong mentioned a couple of weeks ago. He talked about kind of comping this team to that 2008, 2009 season where it didn't start off great. Then they found their legs and they went on a run. You were a part of that team. Do you remember what significantly helped that team kind of turn it around? It's, it's honestly, it was, it was one game. And uh, I remember we're up in Boston with an afternoon game and we, we came back and we, we won this dramatic game. And all of a sudden it's like any team, once you get that confidence as a group, it's just, it's such a powerful thing. It, it's hard to get. There's not really any, you know, specific explanation of why or when it happens, but when it happens, if you have the personnel and you have a good enough team, you can do some damage. And if, you, if you, it happens to be, you know, going down the, the last, the second stretch of the season, well, all of a sudden you're, you become a contender and a team to be reckoned with. So it's just, it's just a matter if they're, you know, any team's able to, to kind of grasp that, you know, magic or that confidence as a team at the right time. And we've always seen that momentum, such a huge thing, but it's, uh, I mean, this division, this conference, it's so good. There's, there's so many teams that are, are capable of that. It's hard to pick, you know, anybody that could win this, uh, this conference, for certain, you look at Colorado. They're in a situation. Can they endure the injuries? Are they miss Kadri as much? Got a new goaltender, um, but you got to figure they, they'll be in the mix. But to me, there's no clear-cut favorite. Is leadership, Chris, as important in the league now that it was back in that 2008-2009 season? Yeah, I absolutely think it always is because you know either you 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 lead and people follow you, or you have you know, leadership that is not good and you accept a certain culture and, Hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get my points and we're going to, you know, we're going to win this game and or lose this game five, four, but I got my three points and we're doing good and we're hanging on. And it, it, it to me, it separates the, the great teams from the good teams and the bad teams uh, is, is your leadership. Obviously you need skilled players and you need high end guys and, and good goaltending and all that kind of stuff. But the teams that, win Stanley Cups, the teams that are top teams in the league, they all have good leadership, and I think that's what separates the the best from the rest of the pack. Chris, one more before we let you go. Every time these two teams meet up, it seems to be a physical battle. Is Are we expecting that once again tonight because Nashville has not let up with that physicality all season long? Yeah, I think so. I think both teams, if you ask any of their players or coaches, when they have success, they're they're being physical. And, uh, you know, the Blues and Predators, especially the last few years, whenever they get together, it's, it's fireworks. And I, I think when you play another team that prides themselves on that, I think it brings even more out of both groups to, to try to get the edge in that department. So I, I expect a really physical matchup, especially with some of the guys that are out of the Blues lineup, too. They're going to have to really rely on that even more. Chris, always appreciate the time. You're always one of our favorites here in St. Louis. I still see people walking around with that big number 50 Blues Mason jersey. So appreciate the time as always. Go enjoy the rest of morning skate, and we'll see you at the rink tonight. (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you, guys. Take care. (laughs) There you go. You got it. That's Chris Mason here on 101 ESPN, broadcaster for the Nashville Predators, previously goalie here in St. Louis, goalie for the Preds as well. You can follow him on Twitter at CMace, M-A-C-E 30. Um, Alex, biggest takeaway from that was what for you? Well, um, obviously the physical play is going to be the one in this one. But, you know, he mentioned when I asked about that 2008-2009 team, he mentioned 
uh, one game. One game is kind of what turned that around. And I remember that game, and I'm sure a lot of Blues fans remember it too. It was a game that was, I think the Blues were about as depleted as you can ask for, where they had none of their starters. I mean, they were down to like their third and fourth string guys playing at the top line. They fought back and beat Boston and went to a shootout and won that game. I think David Backa scored with like a couple of seconds left. That was a game that you felt was a turning point for the Blues because they had nothing else to give, and then it was like, oh, hey, we can actually win. I don't know if the Blues can find that game this season because it seems like when they do, the next step is kind of the turning point. But he's absolutely right. You can't rebuild anymore in the NHL. And if you do rebuild, you're going to be in for a five to ten year process because you're not only rebuilding with draft picks and young players, but then you're rebuilding the whole uh, chemistry of those players and the whole maturity of those players and the whole atmosphere of those players. It's not a one to two year thing. You know, I went back and looked. It was July of 2021 that Nashville's GM, David Poyle, said that they were doing a competitive rebuild. And the year prior, they had won the Central Division. So if there's any recipe for how to turn this around, it's what Nashville has done. Yeah, I would, I would also add for that 08-09 team, what changed is Chris Mason was awesome. Chris Mason was <laughs> unbelievable. Chris Mason in the second half of that season and he stepped in for that Legacy. Boston game. Uh, 38 games. He was 24, eight and six with a nine twenty five save percentage. Like what changed for them is he became Jordan Bennington. <laughs> like, this is in heart. Sometimes is like you, you look at what the difference was early on in the season. He was three 13 and one in his first 19 games as a starter with a save percentage right around 900. What did he do to do in the second half? He pulled to Jordan Bennington. You know, what's wild about just, this. It, it's that simple. Guess what date the blues beat Boston that season. January 19th. January 19th. Guess what today's date is, T-Bone? The January 19th. Pr- the, the problem so 14 is, 14 years later, this is it. This is a turnaround. How do you feel about this team if they finish the year 41, 31, and 10? Because I would say that's like... Right how I feel with then, them right now. And finish with four games in the playoffs, they get swept out. Yeah, they get swept by Vancouver. Vancouver's, that's what this team is. And that, that's, that's why, what I was saying. Is like, that's even, what this team even does. Even if they do that, mm-hmm. even if the Blues go on the exact same run that they did in 2009, literally nothing about them changes for me. Especially, nothing. Especially because, like you mentioned, like Colorado or Minnesota is going to possess one of those top three spots, which means you are going to be a wildcard team, which means you will be taking on Vegas or whomever finishes first in the Central Division, which is not going to be an easy task compared to what last year was where you were a third-place team taking on a second-place team. Yeah, and like I mentioned, Chris Mason basically became Jordan Bennington. How do they go about doing what Jordan they did Bennington. in 2009? Very likely Jordan Bennington. He yeah. stands on his head and he becomes the 2019 Jordan Bennington once again. And he's been good this year, don't get me wrong, but like that's just a different level of dominance that we saw in the second half of that season, second half of 2019. Maybe they've got it again in them, but even still, it changes, once again, nothing in terms of what I would do at the deadline and how I would view this this team long term. I'm just saying January 19th, 2009, January 19th, 2023. Coming up in about 15 Buckle minutes, up. the Blues are missing a legitimate number one defenseman. Finding one could prove more difficult than we were hoping. We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Dan Zimborski at 12:15. But questions and answers, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text 
399-9646. VK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We got an interesting uh, response to what we were just talking about in the last segment. Probably yelling at us, right? This one comes from the 314. By the way, the Air Comfort Service X line is 314-399-9646. If you guys want to get involved in questions and answers. Guys, I don't understand this championship or bust mentality by St. Louis Sports Talk Radio right now. Competitive teams are important. Getting to the playoffs is important. Because no matter how much y'all hate on it, if you get in, you've got a chance to win the whole thing. That came from DeWitt. (laughs) Junior or the third? Both. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Mo sending another text saying, nope, that's not true. Change your philosophy. I do find it interesting, though, because I I think there might be as much as I I do poo-poo it. I think there's some truth on that with baseball. Like the Atlanta Braves, when they won the World Series, that was not the best team. The Royals in 2014, the the first year that they went to the World Series, they were not a great team. That was not supposed to happen. We've seen like the Nationals. I don't think that the Nationals were the best team in baseball when they went on. Hell, last year, the Phillies, that was not a team that was supposed to go on a run to the World Series. We've seen this happen time and time again in baseball. Hockey's a little different. Alex, we looked back and I asked you a simple question. Who's the worst team? to go on to win the cup like worst regular season to go on to win the cup in the last 20 25 years the answer is the 2012 kings they they ended up having 95 points that season to put that in perspective or what the blues would have to do down the stretch to be able to just get to 95 points which is again the lowest threshold of any team to win the cup in the last 25 years they would have to go something like 24 and 13 down the stretch They would have to essentially win 66% of their their games or get points in 66% of their games down the stretch. First of all, I don't think this team has that in them. And even if they did, I still wouldn't believe that they have it in them to go on a run like that Kings team did because that is such an unbelievable outlier given what the historical point of reference is for any other team that's gone on to win the cup. The next closest thing that you can get to is the 2019 Blues who finished with 99 points that year. And that would require the Blues in their next 37 games to get another 52 points. You got to win 26 games out of your next 37. Like it's just, it feels very difficult for me. So it's not so much a win and get through mentality. I, I don't know that that exists in the NHL. Yeah, well, and the thing about that LA Kings team, and I just went back and looked at it, is they were dominant in the second half of the season. From January 1st on, I think they won 22 games the rest of the way. So it, it's it's just not a, an easy thing to do in the NHL because it, it, like in, in other sports, you know, you can have one person go off and it steals the show and you find that way all the way to the World Series. In hockey, I mean, you got to have everybody clicking on the same page. And if they don't, you're not going to go far. That's why as great as that team was in 2008, 2009, like you emptied the tank just to get into the playoffs. And when you got in, you had nothing else. And Vancouver was the better team. You just in hockey, the better team seems to always prevail. You'll get underdog stories that find their way to the Stanley Cup final. 
But once you get into the Stanley Cup final, the better team seems to always win. This is another important part of this. This comes from the 314. Guys, it also seems like even if the Blues did make the playoffs, it would be another first round exit. So it's better to sell off on some of their pending free agents. I think that's another really important part of this is like if the Blues were the Red Wings or the New Jersey Devils, we would be talking about this team completely differently because you're at the beginning of what is hopefully a long-term build, right? You believe that this could be the first year that you get the taste of the playoffs and then you could build upon that in, in upcoming seasons. The Blues are on the opposite side of that. The Blues are coming off of what was a winning window and now you're starting to wonder, okay, what does the next era of Blues hockey look like? And you're trying to set yourself up for that version of whatever the blues are so I, I think that the life cycle of a hockey team the life cycle of a baseball team is also part of that and that's why we're so i think down on the blues and why it sounds like we are ready to push for the cardinals because you do have nolan arenado paul goldschmidt wilson Contreras, wayno in his final year jack flaherty is a pending free agent it's just a different spot in your your life cycle compared to a lot of these well, other and you could always strike that pretty quickly i mean coming out of the bubble when alex petrangelo left a lot of people were looking at that following season like oh this might be the end of it that was the mike hoffman season and what did they do they went out and they acquired pavel buchnevich they um they they added a couple of other complimentary pieces in that season we were talking about a team that might have a chance to win the stanley cup so you could change it quick but hockey is just a different breed, and that's why they say it's the toughest sport to win in pro, in pro sports. The Air Comfort Service text line is 314-399-9646. Final question here. This one comes from the 314. Alex, what would you think of our Tigers last night? Big win at home against the Arkansas Razorbacks. Man, I got chirped on Twitter last night saying, can't wait to hear Ferrario try and find a way to bash on this Missouri Tigers team. You chirping me, Jim? You chirping me, Jim? You call me slow? I was pumped. I stayed up for that game. Alex was did. actually awake. <laughs> I guys know. <laughs> I don't do that. Now I fell asleep and right dude, after. If ever there was a tough game to stay up for, it was that uh, one. That, that enough for drag to me. <laughs> How many were there? Fifty-six fouls in that game. Something like that. It was unbelievable. It was a zoo was called for twenty-three, and Arkansas was called for thirty-three. Like, and and one of them, God. there was legitimately no contact. My <laughs> God! And then they're reviewing every foul. There were four Arkansas Razorbacks that. Fouled out. out in the game. Uh, and, and, and there gosh. were, what, two Missouri Tigers players that were in foul trouble? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, Diara and Golston both had four fouls. That was such a fun game, though, because it was like the competitive basketball back and forth that you see. I mean, down 10 with five minutes to go, and they found a way to will their way back in. I thought they played really well in terms of their speed. We hadn't seen that for a couple of games. Um, and Kobe Brown, I've said it before, Kobe Brown is my favorite player, and you know why. When he rolled his ankle, I kind of... Um, I teared up a little bit. Did you? Yeah, it was yeah. like listening to um, to Cheryl Crow. Bend of the road for you? Yeah. That's what it felt like? It felt like. I, I thought my Missouri Tiger fandom was going to be gone after that. What I like about this team is that you just don't know on any given night who it's going to be. Like last night, it was DeAndre Golston and Sean East. There was a point in time during that game even where I was like, man, get DeAndre Golston off of the court. He is not the right player for this specific matchup. And then in the end, he ended up being the one that like won that game for. He goes six for six at the foul line down the stretch. Sean East was outstanding defensively. Yeah. He changed the game with his speed getting up and down the court. Um, you it's nailed just, your free throws, too. It's a different kind of team from what we've seen in previous years because they do have some more depth than what we had previously seen. It was also really nice to see Isaiah Mosley back on the court. Yeah, uh, he's he's a difference maker, man. He is their most talented player. And when, he, when he's able to get out there and play like that, 
it's going to be a lot of fun to so, watch. So take that, Sam I Am on Twitter. Sam I Am was the one that was chirping you? Chirping me on Mizzou. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're talking to Z- my team, Dan Zimborski. He is the creator of the Zips projections over on Fangraphs. We'll ask him what his projections show him about the Cardinals for 2023. What did he take away from them? We'll get into that with Dan coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, the Blues are missing a number one defenseman. They have been since Alex Petrangelo walked out the door. So where do you find one? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Who's your next Alex Petrangelo? Who's your next David Perron? Who's your next, like, who's the guy that's in line for that? You never really did feel fill the void with Alex Petrangelo. He's a number one defenseman. You didn't really fill the void. That was Jamie Rivers yesterday on the fast lane, making what I think is a pretty important point. The Blues let a number one defenseman walk out the door, and they never really replaced him. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In 10 minutes, we'll talk to Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs. He is the one that came up with the Zips projections. We'll ask him what they tell him about the 2023 Cardinals. Again, that's coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But Alex, I think it's an important point because it's very clear right now that the Blues don't have that guy. And I remember when Alex Petrangelo was going through his free agency process, we talked to Carlo Koliakovo, I believe it was. And he said, listen, this is the type of guy that you just don't let walk because then you're spending the next 10 years trying to replace him. And he harped on his experience up in Toronto in the media there where he's saying, hey, we've been looking for an Alex Petrangelo with the Leafs for a decade. And you guys have that player. You you, you just don't let him walk. Well, they did, and he's now with Vegas, and there's no real way to replace him. I look at some of these trade boards, like the Athletic has theirs out. Their top defensemen that are available are Jacob Chikrin, John Klingberg, who couldn't find a multi-year contract last offseason, and Matt Dumba, who is going to be a healthy scratch tonight because of his recent performance for the Minnesota Wild. You look at the upcoming free agency uh, trackers, and you look at who could be available there again not a whole lot of options for the Blues if they wanted to go that route. Alex, if we agree on the premise that they don't have a number one defenseman, and I think all of us do. Absolutely. What do you do to fix that? Can you? I don't think you can uh, unless you make a trade with somebody who's willing to give up a number one defenseman. And nobody's willing to give up a number one defenseman. The only way you fix that is either having six really strong defensemen who can play as a unit, or you draft one. I mean, let's go back. By the way, I I thought Justin Falk was trending in that direction last season. Justin Falk looked like a number one defenseman last year. He just, he's not consistent. And that's the one thing about number one defenseman. You know what you're getting every single night. But go through the, the past Stanley Cup champions, because there's two things I feel like every Stanley Cup champion has to have if you're winning the Stanley Cup. It's a elite goaltender and a number one defenseman. Everything else I think you can figure out. And going all the way back to, I don't even know how far you could go back. You're going to find a number one defenseman on the team. And look at the teams that are successful right now. The Vegas Golden Knights, they've got a number one defenseman. You've got the Boston Bruins, they've got a number one defenseman. The Winnipeg Jets have a number one defenseman. You, There are teams that have top defensemen, and there are teams that have number one defensemen. And the only That's way you point. get a number one defenseman is you draft that defenseman. And guess what? It took the Blues 
from when Chris Pronger was traded away post-lockout to what year did they draft Alex Petrangelo? Was that 2012, 2013? No, it was before then. 2007, maybe, 2008. So it took about four or five years for you to draft a number one defenseman. And you thought you drafted one in Eric Johnson, and it didn't work out. It took you to drafting fourth overall to find that number one defenseman. So you can... It was 08. Okay, so it took you four years to find a number one defenseman via the draft and then consider how many years it took before he actually got to that level. So to fix it, you aren't trading for a number one defenseman because teams aren't giving up a number one defenseman. Free agency, I don't think there is a number one defenseman that's going to be available to you like Alex Petrangelo was. So you want to fix that? You're going to have to draft one. And then you're going to have to wait. And that is the hardest part about finding that established number one defenseman. The only way you get a number one defenseman in the NHL draft, typically at least, is drafting in the top five to ten. Yeah, usually drafting in the top ten. But you got to hope that that player's there. Because, again, Blues drafted Eric Johnson, and everyone thought he was a number one defenseman. Eric Johnson turned out to be a top defenseman, not a number one defenseman. Yeah, and that's the thing is, like, even if you end up drafting in the top ten, you've got, like, a... I mean, what, a 30% chance? I don't know what the actual numbers are. I'd have to look at some of the studies. But, I mean, it's a, it's an incredibly low odds of drafting a defenseman that ends up becoming a legit number one guy. And the you, overwhelming likelihood is he becomes Colton Braco yeah. or he becomes Justin Falk or one somebody like that where do you like having them on your roster? Would you be willing to give them a long-term deal? Yeah, but they're not legit number one defensemen. And I think this is the important caveat here is Every team has somebody that plays number one defenseman minutes. Not every team that has them that actually performs up to the capability of a legitimate number one defenseman. It's kind of like the ace conversation in Major League Baseball, right? Every rotation has a number one because you've got to throw somebody out there on opening day. Like it's just by virtue of having the schedule, you've got to have somebody that slots in as your number one starter. The Kansas City Royals have a number one starter this year. I think it's Brady Singer. That dude's not an ace. The St. Louis Cardinals have a number one starter this year. He may become one in Jack Flaherty. The New York Mets have a number one starter this year. He's an ace. (laughs) Whoever you deem it to be, they're an ace. And that's the difference with the Blues right now is they have guys that play those minutes. They don't have a legit number one defenseman. And to your point, Alex, I, I don't know that you can find one. And the guy that we continue to talk about is Jacob Chikrin. And even with him, while I like him and I think that he helps you and I think he makes you better. I have no idea if he's actually a number one defenseman because we've never seen him in a situation where he has to play that way. He's been on a terrible team where none of the games matter. None of his shifts are actually meaningful. There's no stakes to them. It's like having a a really good basketball player on a terrible college basketball team where every possession he gets to do whatever he wants. So you don't have to value the possessions the way that you do in the NBA for a competitive team. So do I know if he's going to be a contributor to winning? I don't. Until I find out, are you willing to part with the pieces that it would take to be able to find that out when you may later find out you already had that type of a player already on your roster? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of on the same wavelength as you. I don't think Jacob Chikrin is a elite number one defenseman, but I think Jacob Chikrin is a number one defenseman that can make you better than what you are now. I think that trends more towards building a strong group of six defensemen rather than finding that elite number one defenseman who can lead the pack. Because usually when you find that elite number one defenseman, Drew Doughty's a perfect example. He's the guy that's going to play 28, 29 minutes sure. a night. And he's the one that you're relying on in every situation. And, and you know, 
I have to kind of amend myself here because you can find guys via free agency. Like Jacob Truba is a number one defenseman. He's this guy that we're talking about and the Rangers paid him. Dougie Hamilton is the one with New Jersey devils and the devils paid him, but it is very rare that you see those guys show up there. So I think the only way you're going to fix this side of things and for you to be in that competitive window, I think you do have to do one of these two. You're going to have to draft somebody and hope that he pans out. And you could find him because Roman Yossi was selected in the second round, and he's a elite number one defenseman. But you're going to have to put the time into grooming that player, and you're going to probably strike out a couple of times. Or you're going to have to alter your defensive core into a frame that resembles more of how you want to play rather than how it is set up right now. Yeah, I... I don't think there's a guy that's available right now that I could honestly look at and say to myself, that guy's going to fix our problems. Um, If you could get Jacob Chikrin, I think it makes you better defensively than what you are right now. But to get Jacob Chikrin, it's going to, it's going to cost you a top prospect and it's going to cost you a couple of first round picks. And that's the thing is like, it makes you better. Sure. But does it make you a cup contender? Because that's what I think it needs to do in order for me to give up what they're allegedly asking for. I mean, he would be traded by now. It's kind of the the Pablo Lopez conversation, right? Where everybody wants the Cardinals to trade for Pablo Lopez. Okay, sure. Like, I get it. He's a he's a really good pitcher. There's a reason why nobody has traded for Pablo Lopez, though. And it's because the Marlins are asking for a lot. Arizona for Coyotes, two years, way. the Arizona Coyotes have made it very clear Jacob Chikrin's available to anybody that's willing to meet our price. And for two years, nobody has met that price. Mm-hmm. So what does that tell you about the price? It's exorbitant. And the problem for these other teams that are looking at Chikrin is the longer that this goes on, the less value he has in these teams' eyes because his contract is no longer the thing that it once was. And a big part of the value in trading for Jacob Chikrin was his contract. If you don't get moved by this trade deadline, teams are going to say, well, you're two years away from being a free agent, so we'll wait for you to become a free agent. His contract used to be what Adam Eaton's was. Remember that, Tanner, where oh, yeah. Adam Eaton, like the player, wasn't even what you were trading for. It was the contract. Adam Sean Eaton, Murphy was this year. Adam Eaton was a, a nice player that you'd like to have in your outfield. His contract was excellent. The surplus value, the, the nerdy numbers that people get into in front offices, it was amazing what you were going to be able to get out of him, hopefully, over the next five-plus years. That's what Jacob Chikrin once was. And now he's no longer that player because the contract is starting to um, alleviate in terms of the years. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get into some NFL quick hitters. But coming up next, Dan Zimborski is the creator of the Zips projections over on Fangraphs. He put them out earlier today, what those projections look like for the Cardinals. What did they tell him? What did he learn about the Cardinals from those projections? We'll talk to him about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Everybody! Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by the creator of the Zips Projection. He's Dan Zimborski joining us here on 101 ESPN. Put out the Cardinal Zips Projections earlier today. We always appreciate his time. Dan, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well. How are you guys all doing? Uh, doing fantastic. So I wanted to start out by asking you kind of big picture thoughts. Uh, you put out the Zips projection. You said yesterday on Twitter that Zips is a big fan of the Cardinals. What did you learn about the Cardinals through your projections? Well, that Zips really, really, really likes the Cardinals uh, the upcoming season. Uh, you can, you know, reliably project them between, say, 87 and 92 wins and never really be that wrong. Uh, but 
was interesting. This is one of the better seasons on the high side. I was actually a little bit surprised about how aggressive it was uh, in a few fronts. Uh, so Cardinals fans definitely have less reason to be angry with my projections at the moment than a lot of other teams do. Well, with, with Dan, you've seen a lot of Zips projection for the Cardinals. Like you said, they always seem to love the Cardinals. What do you think it is about this season's Cardinals that makes it different? I I mean, it's a, it's a simple thing in that it just really doesn't hate anyone on the team. It's just, you know, like most Cardinals teams, a very solidly built team. And even without Harrison Bader, uh, it still loves the team's defense overall. Uh, pretty much every pitcher has an ERA significantly lower than their fifth, and that's uh, a product of that defense. Uh, having Edmund and Arenado on that side of the infield is a pretty big deal. Uh, Zips is probably a little higher than I'd take them if you – if you rudely, you know, put a gun on me and said you have to name how many wins they have, I'd probably say like, you know, 92 or 93 because I'm conservative. But Zips thinks they're right up there with Atlanta and New York, which actually, again, surprised me just a little bit. One of the things that I was surprised by was the projection for the bullpen. It, it, based on these projections, the Cardinals have one of the best bullpens in the National League. Do you agree with that assessment? And what's what's propping that up for these projections? Well, the difference between Zips and, say, the steamer projections is Zips tends to like the middle of the card's uh, bullpen better than uh, Steamer does. Steamer thinks that uh, players like Palante and them are roughly replacement level, while Zips likes them more. Uh, I'm probably somewhere in the middle, but I, I, I think it's at least worth considering that, that Zips is so aggressive that there may be something there. Uh, now, as I always joke about, uh, it, in baseball at any time, there are fans of three teams who think they have a good bullpen and fans of 27 teams who think that they'd be contenders if they didn't have the worst bullpen in Major League history. So, Dan, since we're on the, on the pitching topic, I want to ask you about one that struck, struck me, and it was Jordan Montgomery, because we've had a lot of discussion about the Cardinals looking for that top-end starter. If Jack Flaherty's healthy, we all believe he could get there, but I was a little surprised at the, the, the Zips projection for Jordan Montgomery. Because of what his numbers were, do you feel like that this could be a top-end starter? Uh, well, he certainly picked the times after he joined the Cardinals that would say that he is. Uh, I still think he's kind of a high-end number two starter, and he'll look better than he is simply because the Cardinals' defense is, you know, saving extra runs that he that they weren't, let's just be honest, the Yankees were not saving uh, with their defense. Uh, there's a little interesting disconnect with Montgomery, is that you actually look at his numbers, and he probably should have a few more strikeouts than he actually gets. Um, Zips estimates, based on Blake discipline data, how many strikeouts a pitcher should have, and Montgomery, uh, the last couple of years, is the pitcher who's most underperformed where Zips thinks he could be in strikeouts. Uh, so there is certainly still upside left from him. Uh, I, I, I've always been a fan of him. He was on my breakout list uh, in 2021, I believe. Uh, so it's certainly possible. Uh, and, of course, again, the defense will kind of help that along. Dan Zimborski is our guest here on 101 ESPN. You can check out his Zips projections over on Fangraphs. They posted earlier today for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, Dan, for you, like setting aside the projections for a moment, just asking for your opinion, uh, you mentioned how Zips views the Cardinals as being in a similar category to the Mets, to the Braves, the top teams in the National League going into the season. How do you feel about the Cardinals and how they compare to what is a very good National League around them and has only gotten better this offseason? My personal feeling is they're slightly below that top tier. 
I think I would feel better about the Cardinals if there was kind of that one bona fide ace at the top of the rotation. A guy who you could match up to, you know, in, in game one of the World Series or in a, in a wild card series. Uh, I think they're kind of missing that. I think they have a lot of high-end number two guys, but you, you don't really have, you know, the, the Jacob DeGrom at the top. Now, most teams don't have Jacob hmm. DeGrom, but I think that's just kind of the one thing that, that, that separates the Cardinals and possibly just puts them a hair behind. Uh, we talk about Braves, Mets, Dodgers, Padres. With that being set aside, Dan, on that A side of things, do you feel like this offense is in the same conversation as those top-tier teams? Uh, I, I think you can make that argument because we, we look at it. You have two guys who were legitimate MVP candidate last season. No, they're not Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, obviously, Goldschmidt won the MVP, so he's definitely a legitimate candidate. They're on the wrong side of the aging curve, but they're, they're starting so high that you, you, there's still going to be very good players this year unless disaster happens. And you look at the rest of the lineup, and there's no real awful spot. Uh, if you ask me like, what the worst position would be, I might say, you know, Lars Newbar, and then, you know, Jordan Walker is a rookie. And that's not a bad spot in any stretch of the imagination. Most teams have a hole. Uh, it's a better or worse spot than even teams like the Yankees and Dodgers have. Uh, I would take the worst position player on the Cardinals over uh, uh, James Outman uh, with the Dodgers or Aaron Hicks with the Yankees. So I think the Cardinals are in a pretty solid place. I think even if this team doesn't necessarily have a as high a ceiling as some of the other teams I've mentioned, I think the floor to this team is very high. Uh, the thing that one stat that I mentioned when I wrote the, the projections that has blown my mind is that in WRC plus the Cardinals have not ranked below 20th in the league since 1978. It's a consistent team. My God, so 45 years, basically, of being at least uh, above average when it comes to what they've done offensively as a team. That's uh, that's not bad. Uh, Dan, I did want to ask you about one, one of the things that you do over on uh, the Zips projections, and I really like that you do this, is you place the percentile outcome. So in a player's 80th percentile outcome this year, here's what they become. Essentially, hey, they had a really good year. What does that look like? You also have their 20th percentile outcome. So they had a bad year, a down year. What does that look like? And for a player like Paul Goldschmidt, that means in his 80th percentile outcome, he's basically the MVP. And in his 20th percentile, he's still slightly above league average. And it looks different for every player that you have slotted in here. For the Cardinals, though, one thing that stood out to me, and I think this fits in with the conversations that we've had about the Cardinals this offseason, is a lot of their 80th percentile outcomes are really high offensively. Like Juan Yepes, 40% above league average offensively. Lars Newtbar, 35% above league average offensively. Same is true for Tyler O'Neill and Carlson and Contreras. Do they have an abnormal number of players in your mind that have that baked in upside of if they end up hitting that 80th percentile outcome, this looks a little different than many of the other teams that you project on a, a year-to-year basis? I don't think grossly abnormal, but if you look at some of the players involved, you can see why. Like like Juan Yepes, uh, you think about what an upside season is for him, you would expect kind of that power to take off, and maybe he does hit 35 home runs uh, in a full season. I think the same with, with Tyler O'Neill. I mean, when Tyler O'Neill has been on, we have seen some pretty impressive numbers for him. Now, it's, of course, very uncertain, but that potential is still there. Uh, now, they do have definitely a larger number of players than the average team uh, of 
of, of guys with fairly high 20th percentile projections. Uh, because you, you look at the team, and there, if everyone was about their 20th percentile projections, it still looks kind of like a 500 team. Uh, and, of course, not everyone is going to hit their uh, 20th percentile projections because that would be a very, very unlucky season. But I, I, I think Cardinals have to like where they are. Uh, the teams I mentioned aren't in the NL Central. I think the Brewers are the only team that can really challenge the Cardinals in any meaningful way unless there's a huge bit of luck on, on, on their side or unlucky disasters on the card side. Dan, we'll get you out of here on this. And if you aren't familiar with his work, it is great work over at Fangraphs. He puts out the Zips projections every year. He just put out the Cardinals today. You can follow him on Twitter at D Zimborski. Dan, when you look at the Cardinals pitching and you mentioned, hey, if they had a number one, I would feel a lot better about this. We've been talking about the same thing all offseason. I really wanted them to go after a Carlos Rodon, for example. They decided not to do that. Is there a pitcher that could be traded this year, conceivably, that you think fits that criteria? Is there somebody that comes to mind for you that if they became available on the trade market, you'd be like, yeah, that that's the type of pitcher that I'd like to see the Cardinals add? I think that if the if the Marlins fail to score runs again, I think there's at least a chance they start to look at, you know, hey, you know, Sandy Alcantara, he has a a team-friendly contract, he might have an absurd amount of trade value. Uh, he would be a lot of fun at the top of the, the Cardinals' rotation. I thought the Cardinals should go after Rodon also, uh, but I'm from Baltimore. I really wanted the Orioles <laughs> to get Rodon, so I wasn't rooting for the Cards to get him. Yeah, it, it was a strange <laughs> offseason with, with the Rodon sweepstakes. It seemed like he was always going to end up with the Yankees, um, and that, that that just felt like a kind of fait accompli. Hey, Dan, we appreciate the time, man. Great work over on the Fangraphs, Zips projections this offseason. Always a pleasure to be able to speak with you about them. Hopefully we'll talk with you again soon. Always fun, guys. Thanks for having me on. You got it. That's Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs joining us here on 101 ESPN. Appreciate his time as always. Can you imagine if they were like, hey, you know what? Let's go ahead and trade for uh, Sandy Alcantara. Wow. Let's go ahead and bring him back into the organization. I hate to be uh, Buzz Killington because that's your job, but that man was just given a key to the city of Miami. <laughs> so um, I think that they can score absolutely zero run- runs through 162 games this season, and they're going to say, yeah, he's untouchable. You know what would be wild is if the Rays were like, hey, we'll trade your Randy Rosarena for Sandy Alcantara. God, that and that ended up getting a ton. God, kill me now. That would be awful. Or if the, the Diamondbacks were like, hey, we'll give you like Zach Gallen oh. for Sandy Alcantara. And some prospects thrown in to see a former cardinal be traded for a former cardinal would just be uh brutal and to be fair like that's that is not going yeah, to happen the man was given a they already have a sandy alcantara day in miami and he's been there for what one full season yeah i mean one season in which he was like the cy young winner so i mentioned i i asked him about the cardinals having more upside baked into their lineup than a lot of the other teams around the national league we would all agree that the phillies have a good lineup right like people would look at the Cardinals lineup compared to the Phillies and be like, hey, I like that Phillies lineup. Yeah, Correct? I think going into fair? the season, I'd say the Phillies have a better lineup than the Cardinals. Tanner, do you think that's a fair assumption? Yeah, Phillies, good lineup. Agreed. So when I look at what their outcomes are, and I, again, I mentioned like the here's what it looks like for a good season. Here's what it looks like for a bad season. And these are one projection systems idea of what they could be for the Cardinals. They have nine players that based on a quote unquote good season could be 30 percent above league average offensively this year. You know how many the Phillies have in their lineup based on this, again, one projection system, 30% above league average this season offensively. I've played this game before, so it's more than the number you're giving us. So let's just go with four, 
I was going to say six. Six. It's six Let's players. Let's go! The Cardinals have nine of them. And so when I look at what this lineup could be, this gets back to our conversation that we had earlier today of, I, I think sometimes we confuse competition for a lack of certainty. I think the Cardinals have options this year. And if one guy fails, another guy could step up. And by the end of, let's call it May, I think they're going to have a pretty firm idea of what this outfield is going to look like. And that's where most of this comes from. Like Nolan Arenado, the upside for him, 50% above league average offensively. Paul Goldschmidt, 50% above league average. Wilson Contreras, 35%. But then you get to Dylan Carlson, 30%. Tyler O'Neill, 40%. Alec Burleson, interestingly enough, 30% above league average is his high upside season. Lars Newbar, 35% above league average. Juan Yepes, 40%. And then Nolan Gorman, 30% as well. That's a lot of guys that could figure into your outfield slash DH mix that if they end up hitting this upside, like literally two of them, You've got your two and six hole hitters, and now you feel great about what your lineup looks like one through six. Now, if you get multiple of those guys, like three plus that end up working out for you. What's the phrase that I like to use, Alex? Now we're what? Now we're cooking with grease. Sorry. Now we're cooking with oil. Now we're cooking at home with BK. Now we're cooking with gas. That's what we're looking for. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're diving into the junk drawer. But zip, next, zip, 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 zip. Yeah, Dan really enjoyed that. No, Let's we dive didn't. into some NFL. Yes, <laughs> We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll get into some infighting here in about 10 minutes or so. We got to address it. We'll do that coming up in the junk drawer. Infighting? But I right got some now, ish with you people. Let's oh, get into geez. some NFL quick hitters. Our show's going to be over by the end of this. Tanner mentioned during his update that there have been two firings on the offensive coordinator side of things today. Greg Roman has been fired in Baltimore. And down in Tampa Bay, they decided to fire Byron Leftwich. Alex, this means that 10 different NFL teams are now looking for an offensive coordinator. It includes Baltimore and Tampa, as we just mentioned, Arizona, the Chargers, the Colts, Commanders, Jets, Patriots, Rams, and Titans. When I think about what I'm looking for in my next head coach, I tend to lean towards having an offensive mind so that way I don't then have to go search for the offensive coordinator to pair with my head coach, right? So like, For example, if you're Brandon Staley, I I liked the idea at one point of Brandon Staley being my head coach. The problem is if he gets the right offensive coordinator in there a year or two from now, that guy's going to be hired from somebody else to be their head coach. And then I've got to do the same thing. And then you might end up with the Joe Lombardi situation where you don't like your OC and you're screwed for a season or two. Alex, have we run out of offensive minds? Have we gone through so many of them as being the next big thing in the NFL, especially head coach wise? that we are now lacking for offensive coordinators and talent in the league. It seems like it. A third of the league is looking for their new OC this offseason. Well, it's insane. And you just look at the guys that have been let go. It feels like you either got the OCs that have just aged out of kind of where the game's at, where I kind of think Greg Roman might fall into that category. And then you get the Byron Leftwiches who have probably an incredible first season where you look at it and you say, oh, he's going to be a head coach. 
And then we all find out that that incredible first season was product of you get Tom Brady and you put him with an elite offense. Doesn't matter who you put out there. They're going to create some good plays. And then it just slowly kind of dissipates. So there's no, honestly, the OC in the NFL feels like the head coaches in the NHL. Yeah, sure. You just keep recycling them and figure, well, he'll be good for us right now. But I'm with you. Like I, I, Brian Dable, because he's an offensive minded coach, right? He's kind of the product of what you want as a head coach. But the problem is how rare is it to find Brian Dable's success as an OC for the amount of time he was in Buffalo that translates into being a head coach. Well, that's the thing. You look around the league, like, look at last year's cycle. Look at Nathaniel Hackett. It was Kevin (laughs) O'Connell. He's worked out in Minnesota. Has he? Dable. Yeah, I would say that this was a successful season for them. Especially offensively. He got the most out of Kirk Cousins. I mean, Kirk Cousins had a good year. I guess that's true. Uh, The Giants just lost the creativity in the playoffs, I guess. They got the most out of uh, Brian Dable. I would say that the Eagles and Nick Sirianni, that's worked out pretty well. He's been there only for a couple of years now. Like these hires have, for the most part, worked out for teams when they go the offensive mind side of things. Doug Peterson, offensive mind. It worked out so far in Jacksonville. Zach Taylor, much to my chagrin, has worked out in Cincinnati, even though he was only hired because he happens to be friends with uh, Sean McVay. Look around the NFL. Most of these teams have been following this specific route. I mean, Mike McDaniel out in Miami. I would say that despite what happened against the Bills with some of the decision making and the lack of play calling in time was a successful season for him as the head coach of the Dolphins. I think we've run out of guys like this offseason. Sean Payton has emerged as the head coaching candidate because he's an offensive mind that we've seen do it before. I think we're going to see Frank Reich get one of these jobs. He was fired in Indianapolis for a reason. It, It had gone stale for him there. But if you're one of these other teams and you're looking for the next head coach that's going to be in this offensive-minded side of things, I think Frank Frank Reich legitimately might be the second-best candidate out there. But does we Frank, just run out of options. But does Frank Reich want to even be an offensive coordinator? I no, don't I'm talking about his head coach. Oh, his head coach. Oh, I got you. Okay. Like, if you're one of these teams and you miss out on Sean Payton, who's your second-best candidate right now? Byron Leftwich. But no. seriously. I, I mean, I, it probably is Frank Reich. I mean, the, that was going to be the Rams' number one target had McVay stepped away. And that says quite a bit that the Rams wanted him to be the next head coach if yeah. McVay left. Uh, otherwise, yeah, I mean, it probably would have been. Frank De- Reich. Yeah, it probably would have been Detroit's OC, but he decided to stay. Ben Johnson. Yeah, so, but yeah, otherwise, there's not a lot of. Do we see any others that are still in the playoffs right now become available? Because I know Eric Bienemy has been. I think Kellen done Moore. Done a couple of interviews. I think Kellen Moore, he seems to be getting buzzed, but I don't know how legit that is. It, it just could be. Now we need to fill it's another interview spot. He's defensive-minded, but D'Amico Ryans, I think, will get a job probably this offseason. Yeah. He's the 49ers defensive coordinator. Like, who's Philly's offensive coordinator? I don't think that he's ready for that that's job yet. Their defensive coordinator is actually the one that's getting the buzz, Gannon. I, I think he could end up It's in... just surprising for how good that offense has performed this season with Brown and Smith and having yeah. a Jalen Hurts who was a question mark. a lot of people view that as being Sirianni. the product of Sirianni, though. And then... Da- uh, the Giants, their offensive coordinator is Mike Kafka. He's been calling the plays for them. He's Which is really Brian Dable. He's getting a lot of buzz as an NFL head coach. He's he's done this job for a year. Like Think about that for, for a second. How this guy has been doing this job for one season and we're already like, okay, that's the next guy. It happens quick in the NFL, man. It's wild how this has worked. Uh, all right, continuing on with some NFL quick hitters. Speaking of Brandon Staley, you guys see his quote yesterday? When asked about if he was outcoached by Doug Peterson in the wild card round. Words from a man who was outcoached in the wild card round. This man really said, quote, I wouldn't say that was the case for the first half. Hey, Brandon. You lost. Do Brandon. we play two halves? Brandon. 
Like, what What are we doing here? Every time, and I liked Brandon Staley when he was hired, man. He said all the right things. But now every time he opens his mouth, I'm like, Brandon, this is not the way to go about this, man. It's getting really hard to be able to back you. Is this guy going to get fired after next season? Are we just on the war path to him yeah. getting fired? I, I'm amazed he hasn't been fired yet. I, Yeah, he's not going to last. Like, comments like that, what we've seen this season... And his comments actually display exactly how he coaches. I think he forgets that there's a second half in football games because his team is up and then he allows the other team to get back in. He and Nathaniel Hackett to me and Josh McDaniels a little bit also. Chair Just did. throw your chair. chair you yeah, I'm, I'm ticked <laughs> off that this is happening right now. That, like those three to me seem to be on the fast track to not being a head coach after this upcoming season. Yeah, I, I think next year is going to be the final year for Brandon Staley. Like I can already see them. I can already say we're going into the year. We're going to go, man, they can compete in the AFC West. And then we look back and they go, oh, they went 10 and 7. Oh, oh they were bouncing the first round of the playoffs. Oh, Brandon Staley's out of his job. Like I can already see what's happening. And that's why it's going to be frustrating just as people that cover the NFL of, I mean, Sean Bleepin' Peyton was out there to go with one of the youngest and most elite quarterbacks in the NFL and Justin Herbert and said you pass on him to stick with Brandon and we Staley. stuck with Brandon. And now Sean Payton's over coaching somewhere else, and now we're going to go into next offseason and go, who's going to be the coach over there? I don't know. Who are we going to pull from the college ranks to try and fix this? Uh, it just Jim is Harbaugh. a disaster. Jim Harbaugh's going to be their coach. Oh, <laughs> we know how God. this goes. Harbaugh's going to be the next guy in line. I can't wait to see that. The Chargers have become the new Cowboys, where every year – we're going to go into the season talking about who the hottest candidate is and how they're going to be the ones that fix that organization. That, that's that's what this has become for them. Uh, continuing on with NFL quick hitters, Alex, the biggest question that I have about this upcoming weekend in the divisional round is how the Bengals offensive line is going to be able to hold up against the Buffalo Bills defensive line. Now, the Bills don't have the same pass rush that they did midway through the season because of Von Miller, but it's pretty good. It's more of like, it's almost like what you talk about with defense in the NHL, right? It's about that five-man unit and all of them defending together. That's kind of how the Bills play defense. They don't have any one individual pass rusher that's going to dominate a game, but they've got four guys typically up front that can make your life difficult. You look at the way that their offensive line sets up right now in Cincinnati. Pro Football Focus tweeted out their grades for each individual player this season. Woof. Carmen at left tackle, 50 grade. This is on a scale of basically one to like the elite level grades are 80 and like average is 65 ish. So 50 is not good. Uh, Carmen at left tackle is at a 50. Volson at left guard at a 51. Karras at center, 63. Uh, Sharping at right guard, 47. Adenije at right tackle, 48. Is this what's going to do them in again? Is their offensive line, Alex? Yep, and you should have just drafted one when you had the opportunity. I mean, they the thing is, they fixed it. They went into the offseason, and the, their offensive line was better. Yeah. But then they've had three guys go out with injuries, and now they're back into the and exact saw- same spot. In fact, their left tackle that's starting this weekend was a backup last year on that terrible offensive line that they Two had. Two of the three that's out, though, I saw today that it said that they're questionable. Are they all out? Like Alex Kappa, I thought it said it was questionable. I think they're all expected to miss, yeah. but I... Maybe maybe they find this, a way to get back in because it's a playoffs. But we all and, and this is what we talked about yesterday in in terms of like why Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes are at this level and, and Justin Herbert's not because Herbert has problems in certain areas and he can't overcome them. I could honestly see Joe Burrow being under pressure all game long and still finding a way to win this football game because that's how good he is. When you have the weapons that he has, 
I can see him still having success. But the narrative of this game is going to be either the offensive line ruined them or Joe Burrow overcame the issues that this team had in terms of injuries and found a way to win. Yeah, is it going to be an issue throughout the game? Yes. But do I? What does it make me like lean and does it make me say for sure like this is a Bills win? You can book it. No, because I've saw I've seen the Bengals do this before, where they're going to get the ball out of Burrow's hands quickly, and I trust Zach Taylor to draw up a game plan to get them past the Buffalo Bills. And it's just because the Bills don't have the pass rush. Like you look at the Bengals last year, they won a game where they gave up I think it was like nine sacks to the Tennessee Titans, and I get it that that was the Titans, not the Bills. But if you can overcome a nine sack game and still beat win a game, then I trust you're going to do it again. And they don't have the pass rush that the Rams had in the Super Bowl, where it was Donald and Miller and Leonard Floyd coming at you. I just don't think the Bills will be able to get as much pressure on Joe Burrow to where it slows the offense down enough. And plus, I expect Josh Allen to give the ball to the Bengals. Here's my problem, because I, I am on Bengals plus five and a half. I, I think that that is the right side for this game. My concern with that side of the game, though, is you mentioned the Titans game from last year. I think that's probably the style of game that this is going to have to be for the Bengals to win. They won that game 19 to 16. Do we think that the Bengals can hold the Bills to 16 points? That's where I think it gets really tough. I think if you pressure Josh Allen, you can. I know, but th- that's where even with Josh Allen struggles, and you guys know I'm, I'm probably lower on Allen than most, <sighs> Keep holding him to 16 points seems like an incredibly difficult task, even for what I believe to be a really good defense in Cincinnati. I, I think that's the tough part is Cincy getting to 24-plus points. I, I don't know if they can do it in this game. Getting to 20, I think they can. 24 plus is going to be tough because of that offensive line. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball and it's going to be a lot reliance upon Burrow just finding a way to pull stuff out of his you know what. I think I think the Bills are probably going to end up winning this game because of the offensive line issues in Cincinnati. I do think since he finds a way to keep it though within six and that's where I go back to the line. I would agree with you because I, I think it is around 24 is going to be that target range can, or 20. Can you keep the Bills under 20 points. And if you can't, then it's probably going to be the Bills are going to win this one just because they don't have the protection for Burrow. How many times have the Bills been held below 20 this year? Or 24 this year? I would say maybe They were held to 20 against the Jets. They were held to 20 against the Jets twice. Is that it? And they were held to 19 in week three against Miami. And that's it. That's it. It's, It's a tall task, man. It's really tough. That offense can just... We saw it last week. They can go for 70 yards at any time because of Josh Allen's arm. And that's the thing for me is that those corners play aggressive from Cincinnati. I think you, it was last week you saw without their best corner. Eli Chidobio Apple get beat on the Slugo. Slugo? Slugo? Slugo. Wait, did you say a different you one? Oh, okay. Uh, but we saw Eli Apple play aggressive and get beat on a route like that. That's going to happen with Diggs. I, they're going to have their big plays between Allen and Diggs and their wide receiver corp. It's just going to be a matter of can you force turnovers, and that that's where it's going to come down to. And I know BK doesn't like when I say that, but no, you're right. It's going to be does Allen take care of the ball? If he doesn't, it's going to be just like the Miami game where you could look at and squint and go, holy crap, they actually do have a chance to win this football game. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Craig Berube had some interesting comments yesterday about Jake Neighbors and what he most developed in his time down in the AHL. We'll get into that coming up at the top of the hour. Also, Jake Neighbors basically turned into David Perron when he was talking with the fast lane the other day. We got to let you hear that coming up at one o'clock. But next, we got to talk about the infighting on this show. We got to address it because the fast lane addressed it before we could. We'll do that next year on 101 ESPN. I got a lot of problems with you people. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. These guys are my friends. Are you sure? Because tell people what you just told me before we turn the mics on. Okay. Well, Alex clearly doesn't agree with that assessment. You, turn, uh, you guys are talking internally, and I said what? And you said nothing for you, man. Doesn't sound like friendship to me. We were Tanner only was, discussing what we were doing after the show together. Okay. Tanner was oh, talking okay. about how we were going to go grab a couple of beers after the show. Yeah. Didn't want to invite you. I can't. We know. You got to work. We know. Always There's a Blues game. You'll hear it right here on 101 ESPN starting at 6 o'clock. Pre-game we better get to the segment Ferrario and Joey Vitale. Puck drop for Blues versus Predators coming up tonight at 7 o'clock. So yesterday, we're leaving the studio. We're talking to the fast lane. We're having a good time. And then I tune into the fast lane as I do every day from 2 to 6 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. And they start their show in a way that they typically don't. You know, they're typically getting right into the yeah, hot takes. They, get they got nasty. Cardinals, the Blues. They get nasty. Billikins. Whatever the big topic of the day is. Battlehawks. Yeah. St. Louis City SC. Pickleball. Pickleball. Like a pickleball team right now. Yesterday, they did it a little differently. Here's how they started their show. I don't know if they brought this to air or not, mm. but... <laughs> We will because we're not afraid to tackle any topic. Oh, we think the listeners Ish. should know what's going on around here. So we're walking into the studio, uh-huh. and BK and Alex are walking out. And Alex is calling BK smug, arrogant. Didn't like his tone. Didn't like his tone. The words he uses. Like, whoa, 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 guys. We're Was a team here at huh. 101 ESPN. The synergy. And Alex said, well, BK got mad at me because, or he wanted to use certain elements for uh, uh, on the blues, the way ups. Alex worded it, though, he goes, he wanted to use certain elements for my pregame show. My pregame show, he said. Yeah, and I said, hold on there, youngster. <laughs> Isn't it the BK and Ferrario show? Like Wouldn't it be then BK and Ferrarios? What is going on here? I, to be completely honest, Anthony, my content is not mine. No. The content I have is always ours. Yeah, so it was very it. disappointing to see two guys who are part of a radio show supposed to be like brothers, man. Mm-hmm. Thought we were brothers. There is some underlying issues with our midday show, and the three of them are fracturing, and they need to come together. Whatever that is, they need to come together. They definitely need to come Any together. That. Did that the uh, quicker the better? Was that about the three of us? That felt like it was a lot about me. That felt like a personal attack. I think it was just you two. This, well, you're you the, two are breaking you're the, the band stem apart. of this problem. I'm the stem of this problem. There's <laughs> you're no a lightning shot. Rod. I'm you're the stem a lightning of the rod in here. You know what that felt like? That felt like when my dad. An intervention? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> that felt like when my dad usually goes to family dinners and he looks at me and he's like, I'm going to see if I can stir some stuff up tonight. That felt like uh, they were trying to stir some stuff I up. I think they only have our best interest in mind, Alex. I, don't, I would consider. I think they have the, your best interest in mind. I would consider both of them to be mentors, personally. Consider Anthony Stalter and Jamie Rivers to be mentors for me. I don't necessarily view Marshy that way, but I like Marshy too. He was thrown into the mix. Oh, wow, he's just trying to drag a Fastly <laughs> member into our dispute. You see? I like, should I be the one to blame here? I like Marshy. I'm just saying he's not a mentor for me. You know, the other two guys are. Um, 
And so when they say something like that, I take it to heart. We do. We, we've got some underlying issues that we all need to work through together. Are you guys ready to do that as a team, as no. brothers? Let's just go to the next yeah. segment. Let's, uh, let's get into the next segment. It's over, man. Somebody said T-Bone's a troublemaker. <laughs> I T- can't believe I'm the one who's getting T-Bone. slapped. My name was never mentioned in any of that audio. From the 314. Guys, I can see where BK is, or where Alex is coming from. BK seems like the Justin Timberlake of this group, and that he's most talented, clearly. I added that. Uh, he thinks he's better than everyone else. Should be solo, forgetting that the group is what really got him noticed. Yeah, Brandon. I don't even get my name on the show. You can Didn't see Justin where- Timberlake end up going on to have a whole lot of success and nobody else in the group really did? I don't know. I see Lance Bass everywhere. Do you? Yeah. Who? <laughs> <laughs> I think Joey Fatone's pretty successful. I think you're making up names over there. Somebody said, guys, it does kind of sound like Alex is trying to hog all of the glory. However, BK is going to staley this somehow to make himself sound worse as a result. This is just going to cause even more of a wedge between us. But BK knew what my information was for pregame, and I don't see it on the rundown today. Because you didn't bring it to us. Uh-huh. You didn't ever tell us what it was. See, what? You just put that nail down and just, I've been working on okay. the railroad. <laughs> Let's go ahead and bring it to air. Let's go ahead. Let's air out all the dirty laundry here. We're not doing this. We're not doing this. Yesterday, we're in the middle of a conversation. Alex is tap, tap, tapping away on his computer. Because nobody ever does that on this show. And I said, Alex, what are you typing over there, big guy? See, that's what it did it. When he said big guy, it's like when a a waitress calls you hun. What did he say to me yesterday? He was a backhand comment calling (laughs) me He said that was the best best take you've ever had. Oh, he's done that before a lot. That's smart. (laughs) And... (laughs) That's just silly. Alex, said one day in the- <laughs> Alex said, oh, I'm just working on something for pregame. I said, oh, okay, well, well what is it, man? I said, oh, I'm... Some I'm- might argue that you're a little too nosy. Well, everybody argues that. Uh, <laughs> Alex said... <laughs> I didn't even say that. That was great. Alex said, well, you know, I'm looking into some of these numbers, man, that the shots are, are a real problem for this team. And I said, oh, that sounds interesting. We could... You know, we're kind of scratching for, for Blue's content right now. We should use that for the show. He said, oh, I, I was planning on using it for pregame. So oh, what? why don't you do both? You know, like different audiences. We could use it for here, and then we could use it for the, the pregame show as well. I can't wait. All of these different audiences are going to be able to hear Alex's great information. And then Alex just shut down, decided he didn't want to talk about it anymore. I mean, you do come out like the villain on this story. And that's, and that's where the story ends. God. And Alex was mad. This, this was absolutely a let's take down Alex from the was, 618. Alex I call it does, an intervention. Alex does most of the whining about everything. All right, I can see that from the 618. <laughs> Alex, watch out. BK is known to get people fired. That's what I think this really hold was. On, hold on, hold on. I think on. this That's was BK true. teaming up with other people to turn this into the BK and Friends Who's show. Who's been fired because of me? Are we allowed <laughs> to say their name? Are we allowed to say their name? Because I got like two of them. No, that's not true. I mean... <laughs> Kind of true. No, I only know one. I don't Everybody know. Everybody that has been working one. with me has been promoted. Every single person that has worked with me has been promoted in some capacity. I've been here for four years and still in the same spot. You got the bleeping everyday midday show. Now, You're third voice now, on see, midday show, now, man. See, now we all understand what the, the the premise of this conversation was. Where I'm I use the word you guys better. Where I use the word <laughs> wow. smug. Now that was the Staley comment. We just found the Brandon Staley comment. Tivo, do you want to do you want to shift on over to my side of the table on this? No, nah, man. I'm, I'm staying on my Jordan. own side. When I'm around, we win rings. That's fine i'll be uh i'll be the uh i'll be the scotty pippen 
Somebody said Ranji was let go because of me. The hell did I have to do That's with that? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm sitting I here in middays. I heard that like everyone here was let go because of you. Yeah. No, I no, heard no, that no. you were the golden child. No, that's that part's true. See? That part's true. They're they're gonna have a uh, they're gonna have a statue of me outside next to that fountain one of these days. It's probably gonna fall over because it got BKO'd. It's gonna fall over because it's got too big of a head. Also, or nose. Also too big of a nose. BK, you only have been promoted because other people got fired. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. But I made the most of my opportunity, and I'm dragging these guys along with me. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're playing a game of Believe out. It or we're Not. We're done. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, Jake Neighbors. His greatest asset is something that he's developed over the course of the last six months or so, according to Craig Burby. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Being down there, playing in that league, has really helped them. You know, for me, him coming up here now, I get a consistent player like every night. So that's the key for me is the consistency part. I get, yeah, I get the same player now. He's not going to score every night. He's not going to get points every night. But it's just the same game every night. And uh, that's the biggest thing for me. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kyler. We've taken all of the uh, internal issues, the strife. We've set it to the side. I want to talk about something positive, which is Jake Neighbors, who played, I think, arguably, no, inarguably, his best game as a St. Louis Blue the other night, Alex. That was some really high praise from Craig Berube, and that's what it sounded like yesterday as he joined the fast lane for his weekly chatting with the Chief. If you missed it, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you can find it. All of the podcasts are presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, I think one of the biggest or the most difficult things for a young player to do is to become a consistent player, where night in, night out, you know what to expect out of them. In fact, it's so difficult that I'm not even sure that Thomas and Cairo are yet to that place where you know what you're going to get from them every night that they step onto the ice. It sure sounds like they already feel that way about Jake Neighbors. And we're talking about a guy that has played 30 NHL games and really just became this version of himself, what, within the last couple of weeks at the NHL level? What does that say about who he is as a player, the, the style of game that he plays, and how he fits into what Craig Burby wants him to be long-term? Well, it, it, what it says about him as a player is he's already more mature than some of the other kids that are playing at the NHL in their first year. And, I mean, we knew this from talking to him. I think Joey and I talked to him when we were doing This Week in Hockey when he was originally drafted. And I'll never forget, Joey got off the phone with him, and he goes, man, that sounded like Matthew Kachuk. And it's like... Damn, that's a pretty high praise for a kid like that. But Matthew Kachuk was the same way. You heard him talk Brady also. Those two just sounded like their dad, who have been NHL veterans before they even stepped on the NHL rink. That's what Jake Neighbors sounds like. And it doesn't make it any, or it, it helps him also that he was living with Braden Shen, is living with Braden Shen, who's a veteran in himself. That side of it has been there since he was drafted. And I think that's a big reason why they drafted him where they did is because they knew that this guy was an NHL player. If he's not a top six or a top line winger, that's fine, but he's an NHL player. The The style of hockey he brings is something that I think Craig Berube is searching for on his entire roster. I asked you guys in the office, I was making it a team thing, you know, not my information, our information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. I said, how many guys on this blues roster can you can you say with 
100% confidence, you know exactly what they're going to give you for 60 minutes every night. Let's go through this. Uh, top line, Brandon Sod. Yes. Second line, I would say Shin and Booch. And Neighbors. Actually, I think that that entire three, line. Absolutely. Third line, I, I would say Nolachari. Yep. Um, Ivan Barbashev has not been there for me this season. Nope. Who's the other guy that's on that line with them? Uh, Josh Levo. Josh Levo. Okay, I, you that's... Know what? I actually think you might be able to say that about Levo. I do think you can. Now, the ceiling on what he is is not particularly high, but I think I pretty much know what Josh Levo is going to be on a night and night I don't don't think I would put Levo in this conversation because there are nights where he's just not there and you you don't notice him. But you know what he's doing. You know he's putting the puck in, he's forechecking, he's laying a hit, and he's getting the puck back. He might not be showing up on the score sheet, but you know what he's doing. And that's why I said I could say it with Alexei Toropchenko, Although at the beginning of recent, but yeah. And I think a lot of that at the beginning was because of the shoulder stuff where he was out and then they sent him back to Springfield and let him work on that. So I think you've gotten to that with him. And I think Nikita Alexandrov has provided that in a short sample size, but like, what's the problem? What we just said there, your two best players that you rely upon have not done that. And, and to add on to that, I think you could throw in Vladimir Tarasenko's name this season when he was healthy. So I would actually go the other way. What I have learned from, our discussion yeah, about this is the Blues, our information. I didn't just keep that to myself. That we know what to expect on a night in, night out basis is that we didn't uh, we didn't mention a single defensive player. Well, I, you you bring up that topic before we started the segment, and I would have said nobody on that defense. And I think that that's the problem. Like and, we went through the forwards, and we listed Sod, Boot, Shin, Neighbors, Levo, Achari, Torpchenko, Alexandrov. That's like the vast majority of your forwards that but, you you pretty much know what you're getting from them on a night in night out basis. But I was also just thinking forwards when we did that, because it would be unfair to not use Callie Rosen's name in that conversation. Sure. Because so we'll you know. throw one name in out of the six. Out of all of your defensemen. Again, well, you know, it's whether, got Scandell and Perunovic. Whether you want to throw him in there or not, that's your problem. Your problem is that you have some predictability up front, and I would actually argue that you, you need a little unpredictability sometimes with your forwards. I think that can help sometimes. You need somebody have, who could break the game open. Yeah. I, your defensive-minded players, you want to be very predictable. And I would say with your forwards, most of your defensive-minded guys, the ones that you expect to be full 200-foot players, they've all pretty much been that this year. Your defensemen, though, nobody in that top four belongs in that criteria for me. And I think that's... To me, their biggest issue right now, I have no idea what they have defensively. None. I don't know if they're going to get better. I don't know if this is going to change. I don't know if this is just what we can expect from them on a year-in, year-out basis. Because if it is, man, we've got to overhaul this in the offseason. We've got to find somebody who can become more predictable on that back end. You absolutely do, because you never know if they're going to win puck battles in front of the net or lose puck battles in front of the net. I I would argue that... You need an entire team to be playing the way that Jake Neighbors just talked right there, or Craig Bruby talked about Jake Neighbors. Because if you look at the best teams in the NHL right now, you know what every single line, every single player is going to be bringing you every single night. I watched the Boston Bruins game at, at last night. You know exactly what the top-line players are going to be doing just as much as the bottom-line players are going to be doing. And if a healthy scratch comes into the game, you know what that player is going to be doing. The Carolina Hurricanes under Rod Brindamore, you know exactly what those players are going to be doing because that is the style that they play. Vegas, you know how they're going to play. A Pete DeBoer coached or a Bruce Cassidy coached team, you know where they're going about it. Dallas, the same way. You know how they're going to go about it. There are going to be games that it looks off, 
but the style that they're playing will not look off. And that's what I think the biggest issue with this Blues team this season has been. You just don't have consistency. Craig Berube stopped playing Dakota Hudson last year. Or Dakota Hudson. Dakota and Dakota Joshua last year on your fourth line. Why? Because he said he was too unpredictable. Clem Costin didn't get a proper shot last season. Why? Because he was too unpredictable. If you're not predictable, I don't care who you are, what your skill is. There's going to be issues in this style under Craig Bruby because this is how Craig Bruby wants his team to play. Coming up in 15 minutes, we've talked a lot about the Cardinals needing an ace. All of us believe that at least in his best case scenario, Jack Flaherty could become that. I brought up the other week, though, do they need two of those based on what you've seen around the National League and what other teams are adding to their pitching staff? Could Jordan Montgomery become that guy? We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Believe it or not, is Tanner's favorite segment of the week. You guys can get involved. 314-399-9646. We'll all share the content together coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Guys, just like every great fan, we're going through it right now. But let's not let this impact this us our, to the fans. Is this okay? our reunion tour? No, we're not broken up yet. No, last ride. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Flying away on a wing and a prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not. It's just me. 3-1-4-3-9-9-9-6-4-6 is the Air Comfort Service text line. This is our going away tour here on 101 ESPN. Somebody's going to believe me. TNA TNA is still rolling. Oh, yeah, the next two weeks, one of us is gone, so people might actually believe you. Next week, we're going to hit Believe It or Not, and there's just going to be silence, and we're just going to come on the air. TNA. We've got at least 10 months together. Like left? Yeah, at least 10 months. Is that when your when, contract is up? That's when yep. budget cuts hit. <laughs> yep. I think mine's a couple months after that. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, believe it or not here on 101 ESPN. Guys, believe it or not, one of this year's college football quarterbacks, so somebody that is drafted in this year's NFL draft, will go on to win a Super Bowl. One of this year's NFL draft eligible quarterbacks will go on to win a Super Bowl. I am not going to believe this. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, the teams that they're going to, I just don't see it happening. And I don't even know who I would put odds on in terms of the most likely out of them. Maybe so the C.J. Top Stroud. Quarterbacks are Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, and Anthony Richardson. Those are the guys that are probably going to be selected in the first round this year. Uh, man, this. Anthony Richardson is a blind spot for me because I, I didn't think he was particularly good in college. He had but, like one good game where I was like, damn, and that was it. Was that the, that was the first, game? It was the first game of the yeah. season. I left that game thinking this guy is the best college football player in America. I felt <laughs> like I was watching Deshaun Watson with Clemson in that game. And then you watched him the rest of the season and it was like, man, I, I don't know if this guy's good for college, much less in the NFL, but he's got a, a rocket of an arm. He's crazy athletic. He is the alien quarterback that we talk about. Like he's the Josh Allen skill set. He's he's got everything you could ask for. So if there's one that does, it's probably him, in my opinion. 
So I, I would go, I, I'm not going to believe it, but if there's one, just to give a kind of side note, you think? I would go Anthony Richardson, even though I don't believe in him. Yeah, I think it would be Stroud for me. See, I think mine would be Levis, because I think Levis in the right situation is the next Justin Herbert. So, but I, I'm I not going to... Herbert's winning it anytime soon. That's because he's got a bad coach. Uh, I'm not going to believe it either, though. And to me... I, I can't come to a full answer on this until I see the spot that they're in. Because I remember I said Mac Jones, when he went to New England, was like, that's the guy that's going to win the first Super Bowl of this group. And now I look at it and go, Ugh. there's I don't know if anybody's winning a Super Bowl in that group. So, But I'm not going to believe this. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, believe it or not, Brock Purdy leads the 49ers to the Super Bowl this year and then ends up being a backup for them next year. I'll believe this because I think I think they're still so high on Trey Lance and I don't know if we'd even be talking Brock Purdy if his injury doesn't pop up. I, I feel like they're going to like look at Brock Purdy and say that was incredible however the season ends. Thank you for that. Know that you have a job for the next however many years you're able to keep him on board because you want to have a backup that you can trust when injuries pop up. But I feel like next season, they'll look at it and say, Trey is our guy. This is the way that it went with the Eagles, right? Carson Wentz when went they down won the and Nick Super Foles. Bowl, didn't Nick Foles you get emotional lost about his Nick job Trey? the next year? What, wasn't it Carson Wentz that ended up starting for them? No, yeah. I th- yeah. was it? I thought yeah. Foles was, was they, the starter. They ended no, up he going signed back with to uh, Jacksonville. Foles, Foles oh, was still right. there. Foles was the backup the following season. Oh, was he? Wentz got hurt midway through the season, and then they went back to uh, Foles hmm. again. I, I think that's probably the direction that you see this go. I, I don't you've think that they're going to be all in. You've invested so many years with Trey Lance. I just don't see they're going to do that to, uh, to to him despite an injury. And if it's not Lance, I think it's like Tom, Tom Brady, Brady or yeah. Derek Carr, or they go out and get somebody else that's out on the open market. I don't think they're just going to turn this team over to Brock Purdy, even if he ends up going on to win the Super Bowl, even if that's unfair to him. I agree with you. I, I, I believe that because I, I think one, to your point, Alex, they did invest in Trey Lance. They think he's the guy of the future. Or two, I, I could just see them bringing in someone from the outside, whether it be Tom Brady or maybe they just run it back with Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo is loved by those guys in that uh, locker room based on everything that they say. They were excited when he took over the offense for Trey Lance. So maybe they just say, you know what? We've got a hell of a roster around Jimmy Garoppolo. Sure, he's got his shortcomings, but we at least know he's a great game manager. And maybe that's how we end up getting to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. Uh, guys, believe it or not, there will be at least one upset this weekend in the divisional round. So one of the Jaguars, the Giants, the Bengals, or the Cowboys will win. Believe it or not, one of the upsets takes place. I'll week. believe that. I, I think you're... What did I, what did we say last week? You're good for at least two upsets in the wild super wild card. And then this one, I think you're good for probably one upset. And then after this one, it just seems like it's pretty clear cut who your winners are. And in wild card weekend, we got three, right? Because we got the Jaguars who were technically an underdog against the chat, uh, the Chargers. The Giants were an underdog against the Vikings and the Cowboys were. They were an underdog to the Bucks. I I thought they were favored. I thought they were favored too. Yeah, it was minus four, four and a half points is what it was. Two and a half, right? In favor of the the Bucks. I laid my bets on four and a half with the Bucks or with the with the with the Cowboys, so it might have shifted. But I I think you'll get one. I would put my money on Cincinnati, but I can also see the Giants finding a way to do it. I, I for some reason I'm bullish on on the New York Giants. I believe this too. I I think it could be Cincinnati, but the offensive line has me worried. To kind of our point of can you slow down Buffalo enough to give yourself a shot? I don't know if they'll be able to do it. Dallas seems to be the trendy pick, and I kind of like them too because I can see where their defense can force some turnovers, get into get some pressure on Brock Purdy, and see I don't trust don't Mike trust, McCarthy. If you don't, 
Yeah, but I, I don't trust Brock Purdy enough as as a rookie quarterback that's Mr. Irrelevant. So I would say either go with Dallas or go with Cincinnati. You're looking at an upset pick this the week. The funny thing is I could see any of three. I, I don't – famous last words, I know, knock on wood, but I really don't see any way that the Jaguars win. There's our upset this weekend. I I could see the Giants is beating the you're Eagles. Saying they're playing against the Chiefs. I just think that the Chiefs are so much better than Jacksonville. I think Jacksonville, this story has already been remarkable for them. I, I don't think that they're ready to go on to. Like, can you guys see the Jaguars playing in the AFC Championship? No, game? no. It would shock me. Yeah. It would absolutely shock Trevor me. Trevor Lawrence doesn't even know what he's in for. Did you hear his comments? I think it was yesterday or two days he ago. He thinks that the Chiefs like, stadium yeah. is going to be oh, quieter than the there's Jaguars. There's no way it'll be as loud yeah. as Jaguars. That, that, was the, uh, that was the most. Yeah, that was not a good comment there, Trev. I, this... If the Jaguars were playing against the Bengals, I might give them a shot because of how banged up that Bengals offensive line is. And the Jaguars have a pretty talented defensive line. But otherwise, man, it was just going to be such a difficult path for them. So I I can't see it. I'm lower on the Giants than you are. But could I see it if Hurts isn't totally right? Yeah, I could see how that happens. And then the Bengals and the 49ers uh, or the Bengals and the Cowboys winning, I think is yeah. totally reasonable. I just thought for some, it's always so hard. And I understand you're doing it because of the spread or where they're at, but it's hard to look at Cincinnati as an underdog. See, I, just, I, think it, I think it's easier now because we're dealing with the O-line issues. I get it. But when you've got Joe Burrow, it's like impossible for, it's like having Patrick Mahomes. If you got an issue there, I'm never going to look at that team as an underdog. But I remember going into the Super Bowl when the Chiefs played against the Bucks. Chiefs had Patrick Mahomes in that game. Their offensive line was such a disaster. They never had a chance. But that Bucks defense was moment. so dominant. And I don't know that's if I trust that with Buffalo's defense. No, that's that's totally reasonable. It, it is a different kind of uh, opposition that they're going up against. All right. 314-399-9646 is the Air Cover That was teammates because I helped him with that number. I didn't keep that information for myself. For believe it or not. Captain would Final ship thing a lot here. I think Tanner's. I think Tanner's ready for a mutiny. <laughs> yeah, let's throw him overboard. <laughs> what was the question? Alex, believe it or <laughs> not, get to it. Yesi Puliarvi is going to be on placed on waivers. Oh, and the Blues will be the team that he ends up on. I hate this so much. I, I'm. I'm not going to believe this because of the dual scenario you painted there. I, I wonder if he's going to be placed on waivers. Like all the reporting on this, and for those that don't know, like he's been a healthy scratch. I think he's a healthy scratch again tonight. So that's two straight games. They're in cap hell because Evander Kane is back and they don't have money to activate Evander Kane, although they did because they moved some guys to LTIR. Ken Holland, their GM, has been asking for what they feel equates to a fourth overall draft pick in Puyarvi. And nobody's willing to pay him that because he just hasn't lived up to that. I still believe that this guy is a Valerie Nachushkin in the wings. He just needs to go somewhere where he can actually spread his wings. See what I did there. I, I wonder if he goes to waivers because this is the precursor to going on waivers. You've tried to make trades. Nobody does it. You're in cap hell. Now you got to send him on waivers and see if somebody claims him and takes that money. The reason I'm not believing is he's not going to get to the blues. Because Anaheim, Pat Verbeek, their GM, has been scouting him heavily. They just don't want to pay the price for him. Can't have him. Anaheim Ducks, I think, would be second on that waiver claim. Like, he's not going to get to you. Blues and if are he, trading up. I don't think you could trade up in a way. Well, you can if you just lose more hockey games. That's right. Just continue to lose We're until that waiver wire it. picks up. I I, I wish they would lose just... hard for Pugliarv. That was actually pretty good. <laughs> I mean... Oh, yeah, hey, that was good. I... I would be so in on this. I wish they would trade for him because I don't think 
it would cost you more than a second or third round draft pick. Um, but man, if he goes to waivers, I, I would almost guarantee you he will be an Anaheim duck before that. Well, when that 24 hour period is up coming up in 15 minutes, we're hitting the BK and Ferrario rewind, but coming up next, can Jordan Montgomery be that number two pitcher that the Cardinals have been searching for? We'll talk about it next year on one one ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs tire and auto centers on one Oh one ESPN. Good pitcher, maybe not a great pitcher. That's what we thought of him as he was traded to the Cardinals last trade deadline. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, we talked earlier today, and we did have a conversation with the man who came up with the Zips projections. We talked about them um, and how it relates to the offense. I also want to talk about the pitching because the Zips projections that were posted earlier today over on Fangraphs are very high. On Jordan Montgomery, so much so that they deem him to be the best starter in the rotation going into the season. They have him projected for a 3.4 ERA in roughly 30 games started this upcoming year. Alex, I know a lot of people don't like the wins above replacement numbers, and I get it because they are very flawed. And a lot of people look at him and say, I just don't care about that. Think about it as basically a power ranking of pitchers. Like if we we just view it that way, instead of being a wins above replacement number, the way that they are projecting Jordan Montgomery for this upcoming season is essentially in the same category as guys like Merrill Kelly, Garrett Cole, Julio Urias, and Joe Musgrove from a year ago. That's roughly the area, the category of pitcher that if you look at the wins above replacement that's projected for Montgomery this year, and you look at what happened last year, those were the guys that pitched the way that they are now projecting for Montgomery. Alex, when you hear this and you think about, okay, big picture, what do the Cardinals need from Montgomery in 2023? If you have Jack step up and he becomes that legit number one that you need going into a playoff series, can that version of Jordan Montgomery conceivably be your number two starter going into a playoff series? I think so. I mean, I know the conversation that we've had in the past is you need two aces. And I mean, that's not ace stuff from Jordan Montgomery. But I mean, think of the names that you just mentioned and Merrill Kelly and Joe Musgrove and Garrett Cole. How fast would Cardinals fans be willing to trade for those players right now? Sure. And you've got it in Jordan Montgomery. This is why I thought that Montgomery might be the guy that I'd like to resign if I can get it for not an absurd amount of money in years, because I think what you have in Jordan Montgomery is what Miles Michaelis was when you signed him as that number two in your rotation. I think Jordan Montgomery has got the potential to be better than what Miles Michaelis has been. If you give him a full season as that Cardinals rotation, that's why as much as people in Dan was the one that also said it earlier, like you look at it and you say, man, I just, if they'd be so much better, if they had that top end, a starter, I get it. I agree. But I think the next best thing that can make this Cardinals team competitive is if you have three dudes that all look like they can be number twos on a really good rotation. And I think you have that in Jack Flaherty, if he's healthy, Miles Michaelis, although Jack, again, we talk about him being the ace, but Jack Flaherty, Miles Michaelis, who was that last year, and now Jordan Montgomery. I think that's just as good as having two legit studs at the uh, at the front end of your rotation. 
I'd agree with you there. Is if you have two really good number twos, then I then you have the potential to go on a run in the playoffs. The big thing though is is he going to have enough swing and miss in his game? And that's what I think uh, Dan mentioned. Kind of you know, well you know you might see it where it ticks up a little bit, but some of the numbers are more favorable to the pitchers in St. Louis because of the defense around them. And I think when we're talking about these guys that can really propel you in a playoff series as being these top end starters. It always comes down to that swing and miss stuff because we've said that when Jack Flaherty's healthy, there's nobody in this rotation that's got the swing and miss stuff like Jack Flaherty. And when I was looking at Montgomery's numbers, you know, the projected war form had him close to like Joe Musgrove was who we were looking back in the office before the show. The swing and miss stuff is actually not that that uh that far apart. Where Montgomery's sitting around 21 percent is what they're projecting. Last year Musgrove was around 24 percent. So if he can raise it up just a little bit, then yeah, I think you're really talking about a guy that can really take you to that next level of being a solid really number two A pitcher for you. And then you can have Michaelis has a really good number three once you get into the playoffs. But it all depends on can Jack Flaherty be healthy and be that ace for you. Uh, three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. This one comes from the three one four guys. Nobody cares about projections. All we care about is results. I don't want to hear about the would ofs or could ofs or should ofs because if you pay attention to what those projections are, the player a lot of the time doesn't reach them, and then it comes off as a disappointment. I mean, we're all doing projections in our own heads every day of what these players can be and what a reasonable outcome would be for them. And so whether you put it down on a sheet of paper and you put it into an algorithm or a model and it spits out, okay, this is what you can expect for these individual players. Or if we just say, hey, what happens if Tyler O'Neill becomes a 35 home run player next year? It's the same thing. It's just going about it in very different ways. So that's why I like bringing these up is because this is like, a scientific model as to what he expects these players to be next year. Again, like you said, they very well could fall short. They could outperform them. It, that's that's how these models work. But I do think they're definitely worthwhile to at least uh, go through and see how these kinds of projections would impact the team and what it means for them. As we talk about where Jordan Montgomery fits into that mix, I go through and I, I look at what I think are the four best teams right now around the National League other than the Cardinals. And I think it's Atlanta, Philly, New York, and San Diego. Atlanta has Freed and Strider. Philly has Nola and Wheeler. The Mets have Verlander and Scherzer. And then San Diego, I think, is the closest thing to what the Cardinals are building right now in their ear rotation, where they've got Darvish, Musgrove, and Snell as their top three. I think that's probably like if these guys end up working out the way that we hope they do. I think Darvish is your comparison for Flaherty. Musgrove is basically their version of Montgomery. Maybe, you know what, actually Snell is probably their version of Montgomery, and then Musgrove is their version of Michaelis. They've got more swing and miss in that trio, but you also have a significantly better defense behind your pitchers, and so those balls that are put into play are more likely to become outs here than they would be in San Diego. I guess it really comes down to this. If you have a starting uh, trio that goes up against that San Diego trio, now you got to rely on the offense to be better than what their offense is in a three in a three game set, five game set, seven game set, whenever you see them. And I think that's what the Cardinals are hoping for. They're hoping to be constructed in a way that San Diego is, but with better depth. We'll see if they end up being right. They could be wrong and it might not even matter any of this because maybe Jordan Montgomery gets hurt or Jack Flaherty gets hurt and he doesn't become the guy that we're expecting. But that's that's what they're hoping for. That's what the that's what the key or the. The, the belief is for them. That's why the narrative around that offseason where every analyst we spoke to, whether it was locally or nationally, that said the Cardinals need pitching, I just looked at it and I didn't agree. I said, I think they need offense because I would trust the pitching to be able to do what they need to do to win. And you put them up against the other team's pitching, I think they can go toe-to-toe. 
but I don't know yet if their offense can go toe to toe because you might have two MVP candidates in Goldschmidt and Arenado, but other teams that are successful have those next line of players that come through in the big moments. And I haven't seen that yet from the Cardinals. That's why I think offense is going to be just as important because of what you just said from the three, one, four guys. I think what the texter was trying to say is that the projections seem to be a little more, uh, or we would like to see the projections become a little bit more realistic. They're so high every year on the Cardinals and this Cardinals never seem to reach it. They did last year, the Cardinals. And by the way, projections are typically low on the Cardinals. They like Pakota every year. I don't know when they're coming out, but the Pakota projections will be low on the Cardinals. They'll project them to win like 85 games this year because that's what they always do. They're always like six, six wins below what the actual results are for the Cardinals because the Cardinals have a specific way of building and it's not the, the Pakota for whatever reason doesn't like it. These projections. I mean, we talked to Dan Zimborski about it. He said that his projections are always very conservative on the Cardinals because they're typically they're not bad anywhere, but they're not great anywhere either. And I think we can agree with that as to how they build their roster. I do think that they've got great aspects of the team this time around, though. And so when you look at what the projections are, I think they're pretty realistic. I think there are guys that like they're lower on Jordan Walker than most fans are in terms of what he can do right now. I think they're probably lower on a guy like an Adam Wainwright or Jack Flaherty than a lot of fans would be or, or believe them to be. So there are guys that they're lower on. It's just a matter of like, can they reach these potentials or not? And the hope is that they will. Yeah, that's what I don't blame. You don't blame the projections. You blame the fact that the players haven't lived up yeah. to it. Coming up next, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. We're all going to be at the hey. 101 ESPN Championship Bash Together. next Sunday at Helen Fitzgerald's. Can't wait to spend the day. Might be a street with fight. These two. You can join us, Car Shield, Bud Light, and David Taylor in Ellsville for the AFC and NFC Championship games. Enjoy tons of TVs. Watch the games with those. You can enjoy some food, drinks, music, a bunch of giveaways throughout the day. The Bash kicks off with a live pregame show. I'll be hosting that starting at 11 o'clock. Uh, we hope to see you next Congrats. Sunday. At Helen Fitzgerald's for the Champ Bash. All right, Alex, let's finish the show today where we began, and that is with the St. Louis Blues. They're taking on the Nashville Predators later on tonight. You'll hear pregame starting at 6 o'clock. The puck drop for that one comes at 7, right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Their next eight games are all against teams that are kind of in the same category as you. It's Nashville, Chicago, Buffalo, Arizona, Colorado, Winnipeg, Arizona, and then Florida. I I am officially in the category, and we talked about this earlier in the week. I think this is a 500 team, and there's really nothing they can do in their next eight or next 20 before the trade deadline that would change my mind on that. I do think for, for fans, though, if you are somebody that's still holding on, latching onto this team, believing, hey, maybe they could get into the playoffs, make things interesting. If that is where you're at, this is a very important eight-game stretch in that regard because if you're able to pick up some points here and you win six or seven of your next eight, 
you do find yourself in a, a spot where you could be like right on the outside looking in in the postseason. Well, and the good news for the Blues, too, is a lot of these injured guys are making their way back. It sounds like Vladdy could be back within the next couple of games. Tori Krug was skating earlier today. I think the guys that you're still far away from seeing are Scandella, Perunovic, and O'Reilly. Um, but, I, I mean, heck, if you could be getting Tori Krug back shortly, if you could be getting Vladimir Tarasenko back shortly, that's going to benefit this team. These these next ga- eight games, I think, are going to really tell if this is going into full sell mode or if this is going to be, hey, we'll be a conservative seller. We're like, we're going to make the deals that make the most sense, but we might hold on to a couple pieces just to see what the offseason can hold. And if you find a way to go four and four in these next eight games, then I think Doug's going to look at this and say, like, this is full sell mode. This is anybody who we can get something for, we're going to get something for because we're going to reset the look of this team. Whereas I think if you can go six and two, seven and one, I think you look at this and you say, you know what? Let's see what this team looked like when we get some pieces back. Still with the mindset of like, we'll trade if somebody gives us the right offer, but maybe we could spark something if we're playing the right way when these guys return. By week, end of January, early February, that's typically where you start hearing some conversations about potential extensions as well. Yeah. So I will be curious to see what, it's not the full eight, but the next six games means for guys like Achari and Barbie and maybe Mikola. If they end up playing really well or they continue on what we've seen previously, maybe that does start you know, igniting some of those talks as we get closer to the bye week, because I do think if you don't have an extension done with any of those players, they they continue to be prime candidates to be traded, especially like we all like Nolachari. I've really enjoyed watching him. I think he is a perfect fit for the style of hockey that Craig Burby wants to play here in St. Louis. He can play up and down the lineup. He can fill just about any role. He's good on the PK, like all of those different things. If you're not going to re-sign him, then you should trade him because of all of the things that I just said, because he doesn't just fit here. He fits on any team in any system, and he'll play the style that wins in the postseason. So he's going to have some value. A guy like that, I'll, I'll be very curious to see what the next six games mean in, in relation to a potential extension. Yeah, and you hope that you hear uh, at least rumblings that conversations have started, because even if an, an extension doesn't get done, if conversations start, those can carry over into the end of the season. So like a guy like Nolachari, at least if they have a conversation and it's positive, which if you're Nolachari and they come to you, you probably take it as long as the money is right where you want it to be because you're not looking to see what free agency holds. So you're right. I I mean, hopefully you start those conversations with certain players, and if you don't, then I think everybody's going to be up for grabs. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. Feel like we got a lot accomplished today. I'm glad that me and Tanner have such a great relationship. Can't wait to listen to the fast lane where my mentors are going to be on the air from 2 to 6. Alex, I'll see you tomorrow at 11 a.m. right here on 101 ESPN. Some underlying issues with our midday show, and the three of them are fracturing, and they need to come together. Listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.